welcome back to the Silmarillion Film Project. After a um, way too long hiatus, we are back for season three. And this is going to be an exciting one because we'll be doing the downfall of the Noldor. Well, not the downfall, but sort of their fall fall, their rebellion. I am your co-host, Dave Kale, and I am thrilled to be back after this um, long hiatus and to get back in the saddle with my companions, as always, the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson, the Tolkien maven, Trish Lambert, and my son, Wallace, who's rolling around on the floor looking at me currently. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Man, Our... we're, we're back. Season three. I know I know that the listeners have probably been dying without us. It's true. I know. Uh, so, everyone, your lives are complete again. Film Film is back. Welcome, everybody. I am... This is what's been missing. It has been. It has been missing. Uh, and uh, as you can see, we have some uh, some improvements for, for Season 3. Uh, we are doing uh, video broadcast as well as audio. We'll still be, of course, uh, uh, broadcasting this uh, on the normal audio channel through the Tolkien Professor podcast channel. Um, so that will still be available, as always, as it always has been. But we're also uh, going to be doing some video broadcast uh because you know we can do we, we, we it, we're adding some you know PowerPoint and stuff with the the great help of uh, of, of of Marie Mithluen who uh, is has been uh, of course very active on uh, our discussion boards and who has been uh, you know one of our chief script writers um, so thanks again to to we, we're looking forward to continuing to work with our script writing team uh, and everybody else uh, throughout this year as we get things going so all right today. In session one of season three, we are going to be, uh, our goal for today is to do an outline, an episode outline for the entire season. So this is big, big stuff here today. We've got uh, uh, to to figure out the scope and the the scope, the themes, and the the shape, basically, um, of the entire episode today. So, or entire episode, the entire season is what I mean to say. The entire episode. We might get through planning out one episode. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Well, so this means, of course, we have to be disciplined and not get into, not allow ourselves uh, to get into too much detail or to get too distracted by thinking through uh, the the nitty gritty details of each episode. We have to be thinking in broad, uh, big picture terms. Uh, here, right. for, we're going to get through one episode. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We've got to, we've got to, we've we've got to be thinking big. So now the easy part, <laughs> the easy part is uh, where we've been, right? Where we're picking up. So as we all will remember, season two ends with the darkening of Valinor and the theft of the Silmarils, and we we brought Melkor back over to Angband and set him up on his throne with his iron crown with the Silmarils in his burned hand, and we set Feanor up, taking up his father's crown uh, and uh, uh, establishing himself as the uh, uh, King of the Noldor in uh, a somewhat um, parlous psychological state. So uh, that's where we ended up at the end of season two. Um, Obviously, therefore, season three begins uh, uh, with that I think we have to do uh, the rebellion of the Noldor and, uh, you know, like the speech of Feanor by torchlight and the oath of Feanor. That's pretty much where we start, I think. So episode one seems relatively easy. Um, so, uh, uh, let me, sorry, got it. 
work my things. Okay. All right. Um, these are, these are uh, uh, Marie's notes. So thanks, Marie, for that. So, okay. The tricky point, however, is what's the end point? Where do we stop? Uh, and I, I honestly, I'm still kind of, I've been toying with a whole bunch of different ideas and I'm still kind of up in the air on this. So uh, uh, the, the points that uh, Marie identified as options, um, we have the capture of Mythros or the rescue of Mythros. Either of those could happen at the end. So, so let's just do a quick summary to remind everybody of the major of the major Noldor stuff, right? So we get we get the rebellion, the oath of Feanor, uh, the departure from Tyrion, the kinslaying, obviously, uh, and then the you know them sailing and 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 marching up the coast. We'll get the confrontation, uh, uh, you know, with the the the, the curse of Mandos, right? And, you know, the whole the big curse of the Noldor thing. Uh, and then of course the ships and the burning of the ships and the crossing of the Helcaraxa. Um, but once Feanor and his sons come over, they have their first battles against the orcs in, in the first battle of which Feanor is mortally wounded and then he dies. And then, uh, the, uh, and then the then you know Mithros is captured. Fingolfin arrives. There's the tension between the 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 followers of Fingolfin uh, and the son the the people of of Feanor. And uh, then you get the rescue of Mithros, of course, by Fingon, and there immediately thereafter the reconciliation uh, bet- among the Noldor and uh, Mithros upon his return, ceding the the crown. Uh, of the high of the high kingship of the Noldor to Fingolfin instead of taking it for himself as the eldest son of Feanor. So, uh, and of course, uh, as Murray is reminding us here uh, on the slides, in the midst of all of that comes also a rather spectacular event: the rising of the sun and moon. <clears throat> the moon rises just as Fingolfin and his host arrives in Middle Earth. Uh, you know, finishing the crossing of the Helcaraxa. Um, and then the sun rises soon after that as they arrive uh, in Mithrim. So, uh, and we have to think also not only of the rising of the sun and moon, but of the making of the sun and moon. Uh, because, of course, the, the making of the sun and moon um, over in Valinor, that's the last thing that the... So in, in the published Silmarillion, that's the final Valinorian event until Arendel, basically. Um, and now we may want to handle things differently, especially, you know, the way that we have invested in the Valar characters, we may want to bring them, you know, we, we might not want to do that. We might choose to, to return to Valinor a little more often um, over the course of, of, of the time. We can kind of make up our minds about that as we go. But still, the making of the sun and moon is kind of a big deal and the hiding of Valinor along with that. So, okay. Um, that's, and now we don't, we also do have to keep in mind, um, and I'm, and when we get down to the actual nitty gritty planning out of episode outlines, I want to be thinking of three different kind of story arcs that we're going to be weaving together. Um, this, what I've just been reviewing is sort of the main, is the A plot, right? The Noldor plot is sort of the A plot here. But there is also a very important B plot, which is, meanwhile, back in Beleriand, what was going on, right? So we have to have the establishment of Menegroth. This is when we get the dwarves, right? So the dwarves are going to come in, and we have the first interactions between the Sindar and the dwarves. Uh, we have the green elves, 
coming back across and setting up in Osirian, and that's that's an important thing. So we, we've got the Grey Elves in Doriath and the establishment of Menegroth with the help of the Dwarves. Right? So the Dwarves coming in, we've got the Green Elves coming in, we've got them deciding to make weapons, we've got the first battles between the Orcs and the Sindar before the Noldor even return. Um, so we've got the whole Beleriand plot there as well. And of course, uh, the in the the wars in Beleriand, that kind of culminates with the tragic death of Denethor, the leader of the Green Elves, right? Uh, so we have, uh, we have a, a, a tragic, and certainly in the world of the Green and Grey Elves, very significant event uh, of the, uh, the, the death of Denethor. Um, so, uh, and yeah, uh, Hakan, I hear you about the chronology with the Beleriand stuff and the Noldor stuff. Um, we'll come to that uh, in a little bit. Because uh, yeah, there are some issues there that we need to, that we need to figure out. But th- but our third uh, subplot, our sort of C plot throughout season three, is as has been for a little bit our bad guys plot. Right. Meanwhile, in Angband, what's going on? Um, because we've invested too much in the the relation. You know that we have we we have to continue to develop. Uh, through season, th- and this is where I think it gets really interesting and challenging. We have to continue to, to develop the story of our anti-hero, right? Um, Sauron, obviously, because um, it's one of the things that to me is really, really interesting about the way this has sort of unfolded as we have uh, uh, as we've gone through uh, the film. Film is that th- there is only one character who is going to be a uh, a continuous. Um, a continuously developing character from one end of the film film project to the other, you know, from season one through season 20 or whatever, there is only one character who will be constantly developed, whose story arc will last over the entire run of the show. And that's Sauron. Um, Sauron is the only one who will connect all of them because the Valar are going to be, of course, still there, but they are going to take a lesser role, a lesser direct role as time goes on. Sauron isn't. Sauron will be there Everything, you know, he's there throughout the, 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 the first age stuff, though he sort of takes a back seat at the end, though, again, that's something we want to we want to deal with. Right. Um, uh, at the end of the first age, I mean, and then you have uh, uh, and then in the second age. Right. He's very active in Middle Earth. That's when we get the forging of the rings of power and all that story. And then, of course, uh, his role in Numenor. So he's at the center of everything that happens there in the second age. And then obviously, you know, in the third age is a big deal, too. So. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's kind of interesting uh, to be thinking about Sauron's story uh, in this uh, in this kind of way. So, all right. Um, so this is what we. So these just uh, just throwing those things as uh, th- throwing these things out as other things to uh, to think about here. Uh, so let me just start asking folks here. What do you um um what do you think? What do you think about uh, the ending point? I still think the ending point probably should be a point or a plot uh, located. That is, you know, because like the Beleriand plot doesn't have a huge culmination, right? Um, clearly, the, you know, the 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 big money performance is on what's happening with the Noldor there at the end. So I think as far as the end of the season is concerned, we really should be focused on the Noldor plot. Uh, well, I think, do you guys have strong I opinions? Think a, I think I, I think we need a cliffhanger, and I, I, 
in this case, I think I mean it literally. Right, exactly. I, there is. We do have a literal cliffhanger available to us in this yeah. season. Yeah. Um, but I. But what I actually would like to do is is my vote is to maybe tweak the timeline a little bit, and um, and and actually, you made a really good point. I think we need to still have the Valar involved in this season but slowly being sort of phased down if you will right and then at the end we not only have the oh my god thing of Mydros, you know hanging there but also the sun and the moon appear at that point mm-hmm. so the sun rises on him which could be pretty dramatic Ooh. and the hiding of valinor happens at the end so i would say the hiding of valinor would maybe be the very last thing that happens oh that's you know, a neat sort of idea like a little bit less yeah, so we don't end end with this schlocky, you know, guy hanging on the cliff right. and the, you know, end scene, but we actually have the hiding of Valinor happen as the very last thing. So that, that was kind of what I thought could be a really interesting ending, where we're still leaving some, some suspense, but it's not that, you know, really horrible. Right. What will happen to our hero next, you know, tune in next season kind of thing. Though I agree with you, the image, the visual image of Mythros chained to the face of Thangarodrim and the sun rising and shining straight on him um, uh, is a really cool image. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, And there he is staring straight into the sun, right? uh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, uh, And I think that the... um, the hiding of Valinor, I think that's a really good touch. So, like having the final sequence of uh, of the last episode uh, be the hiding of Valinor um, does make some sense. Kind of, kind of a cue that we won't maybe be seeing quite as much. Of right, it exactly. It do, it does kind of <laughs> convey the message, right? Don't expect so much of the Valar in the next season. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so I agree. I thinking start, about Finn, you know, he started season four with the saving of Mybros. Right. You know, right, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway. the, then we do have a logical first episode of season four, which is, right. yeah, right. yeah, Fingen's heroics. Uh, the, I mean, the only thing I don't like about this idea is I, I don't like the... Thinking about where it leaves everybody else, like, that there's not much closure. That it, if we're going for maximum closure, clearly the crowning of Fingolfin High King of the Noldor is, is the is the move, right? That's the, that's right. the, the starting place, but okay. Or that's the ending place. Um, because of course, if we end with Mythros chained and the rising of the sun and, um, uh, you know, Fingolfin's arrival, it's really uncertain what's going to happen, right? Like, it's like, where exactly are we leaving that is a little bit unclear. I mean, there's there's got the if we just show them marching in, right? Um, it's really unclear well, yeah, what's going to happen. Are they going to fight with the Feanorians? Are they going to are they going to are they going to come sweeping into Angban? What's happening? You know, the, right. so merely their arrival. I mean, I guess it could just be there could be a certain amount of closure in the sense of like, uh, hey, it's uh, uh, they survived. Right, <laughs> right, but um, yeah. Um, well, it, you know, if we ended at that point, I mean, don't forget that we, you know, oftentimes there's there's a very you know lavish two hour, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, last episode. So the Mithra thing, you can often when you have those two hour finale type episodes, you do have almost like two climaxes, if you will, or, or two almost arcs, right? You know, so the right. Mithra thing could be sort of like the midway point or 
or something like that. And then the Fingolfin is the thing that, that uh, crowning is the thing that ties up the whole thing at the very end. So that is another way we could do that. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it I, does... I'm trying to think if it would be, you know, how, what, how, I don't know, Dave. What do you think? How much of a, how much of a loose end would it be to leave the crowning of Fingolfin until after, until the next season? I think that's fine. I'm, I, I don't have a huge problem with ending on the Fingolfin's host arriving. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, sure, it's ambiguous, but I think that's kind of dramatic. Right. Uh, that, that seems like a that seems like a pretty stereotypical um, twenty modern day TV cliffhanger thing, right? You know, like it's it's drum and see Wally agrees with me. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I can hear that. Yeah. <laughs> or disagrees. It's unclear exactly. <laughs> this, this command of the his command of the English language is really pretty tenuous currently. No, that's he definitely said, agreement. I think if he disagreed, he would be doing it much more violently than that. Yeah. He would just be screaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I think that could be a pretty, I, I was thinking if anything would be a little, a little like weird, it would be if you ended on my, you know, the down note of Mydros has been captured and he's like hanging on the, the cliff and then you have the sun rising over him and it's like, oh, yay, there's the sun. Like that would be a little strange. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I think ending with, ending with Fingolfin, you know, would have like a, a kind of a nice dramatic moment with a mixture of anticipation and foreboding right. for, you know, for the, for the very small fraction of people watching this show who have, who uh, aren't watching it because they've already read the books. They'll, they'll kind of wonder what this, what does this portend? Right. Is he coming for Feanor? Is he coming for Morgoth? Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm obviously a bigger fan of closure than most of the rest of you people, but that's fine. I can, I can handle it. <laughs> I can deal with it. Uh, um, that's yeah. not the TV way these days. I you know. know. You always I know. You always have to leave a, you always have to leave, leave a dangling thread. So you have something to pick up for next season. So you have, so you have a way to, so you have a way to convince the um, the executives to pick up the next season, <laughs> right? Right. right. Yeah, I suppose. Of course, in this instance, that's not really a problem, since that's us. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We've already picked up the show for forty seasons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm. I mean, I'm. Uh, I think I'm convinced uh, by all of this, and it thinking forwards, it does make for. I think we already know um, the end of season four is really simple. Um, that is, it's 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 really obvious. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, sorry, it's time. I'm just looking forward here. Okay. So the 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 starting the ending point of season four is really obvious because we know that season five is going to be the the Baron and Luthien season. So the end of season four is going to be the Dagor Bragalak, the 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 Battle of Sudden Flame, uh, and of course the duel of Fingolfin. So the death of Fingolfin in uh, in uh, combat with Morgoth is the end of season four. Like that's easy. That's a, that's an obvious climax. Therefore. <clears throat> having the rescue of Mythros and the crowning of Fingol and his giving the crown to Fingolfin at the beginning of the season makes all kinds of sense, right? We have basically season four becomes then the high kingship of Fingolfin is kind of, you know, one of the overarching uh, threads then of season four. So that works, that works out pretty well. But here's, here's then my last question. Uh, thematically, 
how do we have this? So I, I, I agree how these elements dramatically can would make a good climax, but how would, thematically, how would they make a good climax? Uh, in a season that begins with the rebellion of the Noldor and the Oath of Feanor and the kinslaying immediately thereafter, um, how do we make the end correspond to that beginning? How do we make, because you know, I don't just want it to be dramatic in the abstract, right? You know, I want it to be, Corresponding, I want there to be, you know, the, the, those significant moments, you know, that uh, that the, the the culmination should be, you know, a really interesting. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it's got to end the story arc in an interesting way. And of course, it's not the final end of the arc, but um, or fi- it's not a final end of the story. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. So, can, can we use the hiding of Valinor for that purpose? I mean, we, somehow we show their decision process to do that. I mean, it's yeah. not just all of a sudden anybody right. goes, we're going right. to hide now. You <laughs> right. know, so maybe there's some, something that the Valinor, Val, Valinor, the Valinor, <laughs> right. the Valinor, the uh, Valinor, you know, we don't want them to necessarily be like narrators to the thing, but somehow or another, they serve to sort of, you know, like you're saying, thematically make sense of it all. Yes. Yeah. So let's, let's think about this a little bit. Um, the season is going to begin with Fanor's determination to seek vengeance and his arrogance therein, the pride of Fanor, which leads to the kinslaying in that, you know, he is so de- he is so determined to do what he wants, you know, to take his vengeance uh, and so convinced that what he's doing is right, um, that he is going to uh, that he's going to, uh, 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 you know, kill the uh, uh, the Teleri uh, on his way. Um, and clearly, I think the most dramatic moment in episode one has to be the oath of Feanor. I mean, that's a really big deal, right? And we need to make sure that we're making a sufficiently and appropriately big deal of the oath of Feanor in episode one. Um, So how do we make then the end correspond in a sense uh, to the oath of Feanor? On the one hand, uh, we can show uh, sort of the consequences of the oath of Feanor, but... uh, we don't really see those consequences. I mean, it seems to me like we see those consequences a lot stronger later on down the line. Yeah, uh, we do. Exactly. I mean, like the real consequences of the Oath of Fanor, I mean, sort of the, 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 the Oath of Fanor, the consequences of the Oath of Fanor are most explicitly and painfully demonstrated in the downfall of Doriath and in the destruction right. of, of, uh, you know, the, especially, yeah. of course, the final attack on the refugee camps. Uh, you know, by the by the Bay of Balar. So, um, but obviously, those are quite a ways off. Um, well, on the one hand, one of the results of the Oath of Feanor is the division, right? Because, of course, it's not only the kinslaying; it's the burning of the ships, uh, which also sort of manifest the spirit of the Oath of Feanor, in a sense. Um, And that being the case, um, 
the arrival in force, the unexpected arrival in force, quite dramatic with the rising of the moon and then the sun uh, arrival of the host of Fingolfin. While the Feanorian host has got to be pretty demoralized, right? Feanor is dead, Mithros is captured, uh, and uh, in being held hostage against them. So uh, they're in a bad place, the Feanorians, at that point. And then here comes... Uh, the host of Fingolfin uh, in strength, beat up, but in strength. Um, so certainly the ambiguity of that, like, are they going to fight? Is this, you know, is, is war going to break out between the, the, the host of Fingolfin and the Fanorians? Um, is, is a sort of, you know, in some sense, maybe the lack of resolution that I was complaining about before is one of the things that we can see as like the fruit of the oath and the natural consequence of what we saw. I mean, uh, yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Hopefully I can keep this thought together. Cause it's kind of like, Ooh, out of what you were just saying, something came. Do we need to, in this season, make it clear to the audience that the oath is a bad thing. In other words, you were just saying, yes. Thanor dies. Mithras is captured. In a sense, the audience might assume that Feanor and his sons are actually like the good guys, the protagonists. The oh my god, we want to have, you know them to right. win. We want their oath. You know, I mean, do we need to be clear in this season? I don't mean like to mislead the audience, but do we need to be clear that this thing is going to be a real problem? Right. And that you know, Fingolfin arriving could could be. It's going to be. We're not sure what's going to happen, but it could be. Oh, they're here to save you know Feanor and his sons, and they can do the oath. In other words, do we need to have the oath explicitly? Do we need to be explicit about that this oath is not a good idea? Um, well, in the season, I think after they, I think after they murder all their kinsfolk and uh, all their Teleri right. kinsfolk, probably well, that is be... one thing. There is, there is that. There is that. Yeah. Um, there is that one thing. And, and the burning of the ships. I, don't, yeah. I certainly don't think it's necessary to. to in fact, I would say in general uh, that um, the less the less people say on screen, you know, oh, here comes, oh, well, that's the oath of fame, or back again, the better. <laughs> right, right, yes, yes. Um, no, I mean, they're going to yeah. a frame story, and there might, you know, the frame story is going to potentially serve to make some commentary on this kind of thing from the distance of you know history kind of thing. I, and then there might be a way we can use that. But, uh, but you're right. I don't, we don't want to be, you know, like in the moment saying, I don't think that was a really good idea. I think that's going to be a real problem. Right. Um, we're, we're all, as it is, see, do we already have Mandos? Has, no, Mandos hasn't done his thing yet, right? No. To, to the Noldor. No. Okay. No, yeah, that's going to happen so. uh, partway through. So, yeah, I... <sighs> But Trish, I still get what you say. I mean, obviously, there's not a question of them looking like, you know, pure as the wind-driven snow. I mean, we're going to have lots right, of issues. Right. But I agree with you. Like, the the theme of season, of episode one, right, um, is going to be, like, when Fanor stands up and says, we need to fight against Morgoth, we need to go and reclaim what is ours, um, Valinor is not saying... Mean, there should be something compelling in that, right? Right. I think that it seems to me that the place that we would want our viewers to be is not just sort of sitting back completely resistant to Feanor all the way along, right? And saying, like, 
this guy is just, you know, off his twig. Uh, this guy is completely, um, uh, because there is something, there is something noble. There is something, it's not all bad. Um, it's easy to say that Feanor is just evil. He's not just evil. I mean, that's the problem with Feanor is that he's not just evil. Um, and, and they are still the heroes of the story. Like they're heroes of the story who screw up tremendously. Um, but they, they, the Noldor in general are still the heroes of the story. And the oath is a bad idea. Okay. Well, no, wait, let me, let me rephrase this. The oath, the full oath is bad, but it's not the idea of his saying, of his pledging himself to do the thing that he's trying to do is not necessarily awful, right? The terms of the oath are wrong. And that's evidenced by the fact of like what the oath will eventually drive them to do, right? If the oath is going to drive you to like slaughter the refugees of Gondolin and Doriath, like you've gone awry, right? Clearly, uh, the the fine print of the oath is not is not healthy, right? Um, and yet, let me, let me try to say what I'm trying to say in a simpler way. Theonor's determination to bring the fight to Morgoth and to resist him. And, and, you know, to, to try to overthrow him and resist him wherever he is, is a good thing. Like, that's good. And remember the, the reaction that the Grey Elves have when the Noldor show up, right? Their immediate thoughts that, like, re- remember the conversation between Galadriel and, uh, and Melian, right? Where Melian basically says, you know, at first we thought you guys were like an answer to prayer, you know, like here we were oppressed by Morgoth and, and thinking like, oh, if only the Valar would send us aid. And hey, look, the host of the Noldor comes back out of nowhere. Right. I mean, wow, what an incredible blessing that is for Middle Earth. And and of course, like the conversation goes on from there and she's like, actually, in it, you know, Melian has, has like, you know, twigged to the fact that, that it's not just, in fact, uh, the, the answer of the Valar. But but the point is, it is still deliverance for Middle Earth. Like they still are a force of good. They do good. They, they accomplish good things uh, by coming over. Resisting Morgoth is a good idea. And Feanor's determination to resist Morgoth is a good thing. Um, so this is a long way around of saying that I'm with you, Trish, on that. We do want to, <laughs> to have them, to, to, to have the audience see this in them. You know, it, it at least needs to be an element. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that that strikes me, because I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, last season we did sort of set up Vayner. You know, we did, we were careful about, you know, showing that he's prideful and that yes. he's kind of like driven by his, you know, emotions and his pride and whatnot. And it, it's, what I'm thinking is it's kind of almost like, but the time, you know, Fanor leads the kinsling, Fanor leads all that stuff. And so, you know, the audience can kind of come to the conclusion of, you know, dad's kind of gone off the edge. I mean, yes. he needs, you know, yeah. by the time he dies, it's like, phew, now <laughs> let's hope the sons will pick, you know, now let's hope the sons will be heroic. Right. And we have hope again, you know, that the sons now will do. And then I'm thinking what we actually see in the sons is almost a Macbethian slide into darkness, don't we, over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I remember not thinking badly of the sons, right. you know. Like at this point in time, and it really is. And then later, oh my gosh, you know, with Arathel, I got the name right. Um, 
you know, I just, there's like points in time where it's like, oh boy, you know, these guys are losing it. So yes. anyway, yeah, you know, so I mean, I think I can see the audience being like, well, you know, it's too bad Fanor died, but it's probably just as well because he was really kind of doing some bad stuff. Right. And now the sons hopefully will, you know, will regain the nobility of the house of Fanor or whatever, and, you know, that kind of thing. So right. we don't, because I think a lot, especially modern audiences, I mean, as I recall in the in the Silmarillion when I first read it, it was like I was, to, you know, I knew the oath was bad because Tolkien told me the oath was bad. Right. <laughs> you know, and right. Spando's kind of like me. But I don't know that the audience is going to quite get that. And I don't think, like I said, we shouldn't spoon feed it to them. You know, I mean, yeah. I think we need yeah. to like, no, the, demonstrate. Yeah, we can certainly let that unfold uh, over time. I mean, how we handle that on the Valinorian end, because we obviously have to have the, uh, the, um, and yet remain evil conversation between yes. uh, between Manway well, and Mandos. A lot, of, a lot of side eyes from Mandos toward Manway, right? Right. The, yeah. The <laughs> exactly. I, I told you. Yeah. I that. That, that's, I call it? yeah. that totally needs You'll to happen. You'll be twenty, bud. You'll be twenty, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Exactly. So. So yeah, I, I, I do think it's important to remember um, the. That even Fanor's intentions are not altogether bad, um, and that the others around him, and I agree, especially the sons of Fanor, um, should look um, should look good. We should be hopeful. Yeah, yeah. we should yeah. be hopeful. Especially, I mean, at the beginning of season four, I mean, when Mithros returns and concedes the crown to Fingolfin, it looks like everything's right. going to be great at that point, you know, and and. Uh, there's not much reason to suspect what's going to come after um, from many of them. Um, but anyway, okay, I don't want to get too distracted talking about that. But that's great. Yeah, no, I think I think that's all that's all important stuff. Um, what do you think about? Uh, we have had Marie was pointing out that we have had really important midpoints for all of our previous seasons, usually around episode eight. So season one really pivoted around the destruction of the lamps uh, and the fall of the Balrogs. And the, you know, that's when we had the, of course the autumno Valinor divide there in the middle of season one. Um, so that was the, this turning point in the middle of the season, uh, the, um, uh, the unchaining of Melkor, right. The, the uh, Melkor's parole hearing, was the uh, turning point uh, of season two, or I guess not turning point, pivot point really would be a little bit more accurate. Um, are we going to have, now I don't think we're necessarily bound to that shape, um, but is there anything uh, in this season, I, I can't see anything in the middle that really fits that mold. And I'm not sure maybe we don't do it that way, but I just want to... Fanor be a midpoint? Is there a way you can contrive that? It's too far towards the end, I think. I mean, it's... it's Because, I mean, it's pretty immediately before the capture of Mithros. And, uh... So, I mean, if we think about all the things that have to happen before that, uh, I mean, like the entire... Not only the kinslaying and the journey and the separation and the burning of the ships and the crossing of the Helcaraxa, uh, I mean, they're most of the way across the Helcaraxa when that happens. So, um... It seems it seems pretty clear to me that the the, the midpoint should be um, taking an entire episode out of the narrative to cover the geography and political arrangements. 
<laughs> well, not quite to of Valerian and its realms. That's season four. I, that's like in my head. That's like the subtitle of season four. What? Season four of Valerian and its realms. That's it. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> um, I guess if there's. The one thing that occurs to me that really could work this way would be, Nick, as you were just suggesting, the burning of the ships. Um, and here, this kind, of pick, uh, this kind of picks up on, Trish, what you were just talking about. If we focus in the first half of the season, if we focus on emphasizing the heroism of the Noldor, right... We focus on and now even through the kinslaying. The kinslaying can be shown to be tragic, right? We don't have to, nor do I think we should, uh, make Feanor, you know, like cackling maniacally while he cuts off the head of Tularian babies, uh, you know, in the kinslaying. Like he doesn't even have to look entirely evil there. The thing could be could be tragic, right? And we can arrange the circumstances of the kinslaying to make it look like one of those, you know, oh, like there wasn't going to be any conflict, but then through this unfortunate series of events, these things, like then one one thing led to another and this whole tragedy occurred. Like we can play the kinslaying that way so that it's horrible and everybody recognizes that it's horrible without making them look, you know, wicked, in per, you know, just totally, you know, black-hearted in perpetrating it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just normal. You know how there's, like, a miscommunication and misunderstandings, and then you end up going and burning down your friend's house? I mean, kind of like that. <laughs> kind <laughs> of like it's uh, Yeah. I mean, because we've all been there, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we should play this as uh, as entirely tragic comedic, where all of the Tulare deaths are entirely accidental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. That's. I think that's. Uh, that's just the way to capture it. Um, anyway, but the point is, so it's still bad. Like we're not going to try to totally sugarcoat the kinslaying, obviously. But um, <laughs> it's, Dave, I think Marie was unamused by that suggestion. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yeah, we're yeah we're not, we're not gonna we're not gonna downplay the kinslaying or sugarcoat it. Um, but again, I think what we do want to maintain is that this is not like, and this shows that the Noldor are bad guys now. Like, they're still good guys, and this is still tragic, and and they're upset about what happened, especially some of them. And um, um, But basically, all the way through, even through the Curse of Mandos, right? All the way through that whole early part of the season, they can look... They're still heroes in their own mind, Right. They still know well, there's, there's the, even Feanor, even Feanor might look like, OK, he's um, he's clearly done some bad stuff. But, you know, uh, uh, you know, maybe his ends, his means aren't always are, are sometimes bad, but his ends are noble. Right. He's got you know, he's uh, he, he's he's got he's he's trying to accomplish a good thing. The burning of the ships is a different kind of moment than the kinslaying is, right? The kinslaying could be not excused. I'm not trying to excuse the kinslaying. Explained. It could be explained as a means and ends question, right? Um, Horrible means to a good end. The burning of the ships is different, right? 
that decision because that's not even a means and ends question. Uh, if his me if his end is to destroy Melkor, uh, keeping the other Fingolfin's host is more than fifty percent of the Noldor, right? So reducing his armed force by more than fifty percent is not a means to an end question, right? There is no strategy. There is no, um, there is no utilitarian excuse for the burning of the ships. Um, that is, seems to me a moment that, that which for, for Fanor is completely unforgivable. Remember in season two, we were talking about those, those fall moments, right? And the sort of progressive fall that we see in these steps. And we were talking about like a point of no return. Specifically, we were talking about the, the darkening of Valinor, as the point of no return for Melkor, right? This is the moment when he becomes Morgoth. Like it's, 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 he's crossed the line now. He's crossed another line now. Um, that line, I think for Feanor, uh, and Kinslaying is a really big deal, but I think that we can, we can show the burning of the ships as really being that moment, right? When he has totally crossed the line uh, and is no longer just pursuing a good end by very questionable means, uh, but uh, is completely is completely off the edge. Um, his fall is complete, I would say, at the burning of the ships. So that's not exactly maybe, a turning point, but... Maybe we can turn the Teleri into the villains of the kid in slang. Turn the wait. Turn the what? I was turn the well, make the Teleri the villains of the uh, <laughs> make them the villains. <laughs> um, well, I was thinking about making them ambiguous in the sense yeah, I, of they're, you know not these poor, innocent, honest, wonderful things. You know, I mean, I was right. thinking they could be ambiguous. Yeah, it could, I, I was thinking along the same lines, Trisha. Of like maybe. Maybe they're um, uh, maybe they're a little more proactive and aggressive about trying to prevent the Noldor from leaving. Um, so it's not just you know, well, we're not right. going to let you have our ships. Oh God, you're killing us! But maybe it's more along the lines of like you know, uh, you can't have our ships, and furthermore, Man Manway told us to stop you or something. Well, I it's funny. I, I was just uh, I was amused by how outraged everyone was by your suggestion, uh, uh, Dave. <laughs> Um, uh, all the more reason we should do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I do think, um, that they start the bloodshed. I mean, they strike the first blow in the Kinslaying. Um, they're not the aggressors, obviously, but, um, what the Noldor are doing is just taking their ships, right? And not stop. Like, basically it is the, the Noldor, it's still Feanor's fault because he, it is only through violence that they will be stopped from uh, um, taking the ships, right? So, you know, the, the, the Teleri say, don't take the ships, don't take the ships, you can't take the ships, and they're just taking the ships, right? So the Teleri have the choice, the, the, the choice that the Teleri have is either A, we let them take the ships, or B, we fight them. Um, and so it's Fanor who puts them in that position, but I think even in the book, that's the that's the position that the Teleri are in. Um, so um, in that sense, we can kind of make it, I don't want to say more ambiguous. Again, I certainly don't want to bring blame down on the Teleri exactly. Um, uh, and the whole situation is, is. Uh, 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 but again, in the sense of 
not just having the Noldor look 100% villainous from the beginning, like we're going to come in and just start butchering innocents on our way to the harbor, right, uh, is is not how we want to handle that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dave, uh, Nick says, don't worry, we'll just fix it later and hope you don't remember that you said this. That's true. We won't. <laughs> um, yeah. But I do think if we want if we want um if we want the burning of the ships to be the turning point where where folks look and think, you know, that that's that was that was where Feanor really maliciously intentionally did something really bad. Yes. You know, if that's if that's supposed to be Well, like I mean the, the stealing of the ships is really bad, but yeah, it's but it's different. It's it's on a totally different level. I agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree. right, right. Yeah. It, it's it's him it's you know, cuz because even the folks who with him who went along on the Kinslang were like, oh, okay, well, we're going to send these back for Finn Golfman and our buddies, right? Right. And, he, and Feanor intentionally says, no, we're abandoning right. them. Right. If, if we want that to be his turning point, then then the, the Kinslang can't be – he can't be full-on vol- villain mode at the Kinslang. Otherwise, otherwise yeah. the burning of the ship seems anticlimactic. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, well, I mean sure. the – one of the challenges that we've had with Feanor from the beginning is like we cannot fall into the trap of, you know, we've already been working hard on avoiding falling into the trap of making him just look like a maniacal villain from day one. You know, we have to show, uh, we have to make his fall lamentable and we have to make, to, to show to show his fall. I mean, it's a great opportunity to show what leads him uh, down the road that he ends up taking. Um, and that's, in a sense, the road, you know, the path of Thanor is one of the major elements of season three. Um, I mean, he's sort of our main protagonist for the majority of the season. Um, even at the end, after he dies, I mean, we'll have an episode or two after he dies, but even those are still like dealing with the aftermath of the situation that he created. So, you know, his, 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 his fingerprints are still all over the final couple scenes of or episodes of the season. So, um, uh, yes. Oh, and Hakan and Marie are both reminding us that we can also, uh, kill off one of his sons, uh, in the Kinslang if we want, we can, we can, we can, we can, yeah, the, the, we got a red shirt. Oh, we, we, we got a couple. I mean, we've got the, the twins, uh, that's right? We right? Do. The, you know, <laughs> No one has any has any uh, uh, has any jobs for the twins to do, so we can have them die, and See, that would be cool. Why are you wearing that red shirt? I don't know. Something compelled me to put it on this morning. <laughs> exactly. I don't know why. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So, but no, exactly. And the um, um, just to, to to read a couple of the comments, the way that Marie depicted it is exactly what I was thinking. That the kinslaying is a situation that escalates and spirals out of control, and that's exactly you know. Once somebody strikes the first blow and then somebody has to, you know, uh, uh, I mean, so like, say, for instance, um, the, yeah, I mean, wait, no, you don't, we don't even need it, for instance, and I don't want to get too much into detail, but yes, exactly, that we have, um, when somebody strikes the first blow and then somebody retaliates for that and then it just escalates. And, and, and remember, as it's described, we get the host of Fingolfin coming in, not even knowing what's going on, right? They think that the Teleri are attacking them. So, Dave, we do at, right. the, at the very least have to make it plausible, right, to make it look like this is an, this is an act of aggression on the part of the Teleri, right? They have to, they have to believe this, Um uh, this has to be so believable that the the the, the followers of Fingolfin are are going to be are going to be doing that. But well, 
Yeah. We always knew we always knew that there was something odd about those Teleri living by the water and fooling around about on boats. Exactly. Right. That's not normal. Yeah. Yeah. Unnatural. That's not normal. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, Tony. Yeah, the twins do die much later on. But we, again, the point is we don't have any use for them, so we can kill them off uh, if we want to make uh, the kinslaying even more tragical uh, and personal for Fanor. Um, you know, that was an idea we've been toying with for a while um, because you know, fortunately, Fanor has all these extra sons, uh, so we can kill them off at various other points without losing much. Um, but um, yes, yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, so so we, if we think about the burning of the ships as not necessarily not necessarily the same kind of point that the other two were, but but again, I think it's a I, I think it's a really big deal. Um, okay, uh, so let's 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 continue. A couple issues uh, that we need just to uh, briefly acknowledge: timing. This is kind of a big deal that the time frame is shifting. Um, as Marie says, seasons one and two, we had. Uh, you know, entire eons passing um, between episodes, sometimes during episodes, even in season two, we're moving a little bit faster, but we still have children being, you know, toddlers in one episode and teenagers in the next episode. Um, so we have, you know, that, that, that acceleration of time uh, has always been one of the major issues. Um, we're going to have way fewer gaps um, it's still going to be fairly long. I mean, their whole journey up the coast, for instance, I can't imagine we're going to want to do in too intimate detail. So there will still be some time passes elements of season three. But it is interesting to think uh, about how much more uh, uh, how much more contemporaneous, you know, things are things are going to be. But we do have to think about the Beleriand time frame because the fact is the majority of the stuff when the Silmarillion when the published Silmarillion shifts back to Beleriand and they do their meanwhile back in Beleriand thing um, they're jumping back in time um, the major like the building of Menegroth and the establishment of the relationship with the dwarves and stuff all happens before any of the events you know, it happens before the darkening basically um, so we need to we need to keep that in mind. Um, let's think about themes. Um, what would we say are the central thematic concerns of this season? Um, the, the two things that I immediately think about mostly in, in following on from the, um, discussions we've been having, um, fall, Right, you know, we have the fall of Feanor, uh, you know, the the final fall of Feanor, which is uh, 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 entertainingly alliterative, is um, certainly one major theme. I'm kind of thinking about um, means versus ends, also as a thing which kind of comes up, right? Uh, between, especially with the the highlights of that being the uh, the kin slaying and the burning of the ships, um, and that sets up to some extent that sets up the, uh, um, the rescue of my, you know, Fingen's sort of countercultural decision, right. To, to go and, and, uh, step out for peace, uh, in rescuing his friend, um, oath taking, uh, Chris Graham mentions, "Hmm, yes, it's not exactly a theme though, because, Although, of course, we get the taking of the oath, and that's a big deal. Um, it's the only oath 
that we're going to, anyone's going to take in this season. So, and the final, con- the, the real serious consequences of the Oath of Fanor aren't really going to, going to come back. I mean, I agree, Chris, we certainly do need to emphasize the significance of oaths, right? Um, this is not just like something that they're pledging to do. The fact that like oaths, the meaningfulness of oaths, how binding oaths are is something that we really need to emphasize. Is there some way we can have some sort of sub-oaths that demonstrate that? In other words, again, not telling, not saying, oh, you know, or having somebody go, oh, an oath, that's for... But yeah. actually have it. I don't know if we can, and if we did, we probably should have started doing it last season. Is to, is to lay that groundwork mm-hmm. through the storytelling. You know well, I, mean? I, think, I don't know. I think the reaction to the Oath of Fanor can be one of the places where we show it, you know... Well, also, again, I mean, uh, uh, emphasizing that uh, really that's that is the role of Mandos, right? Like that that's going to I feel like that makes it pretty clear that that um, that the oath of Feanor is a is is a big deal and that um, the role of oaths in 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 this um, world is is quite different from something like Game of Thrones, where the you know the oft repeated phrases "words are wind," right? Right, like, right. I, th- I think that I think the whole Mando scene following the oath of Vanor makes it pretty obvious. Like, yes. oh, this is a pretty big deal. Right? It's a pretty big deal. Yeah, exactly. The other thing, of course, that we've barely talked about is the curse of Mandos and the doom of the Noldor. Um, and but see, that actually seems to me kind of appropriate in that we're not gonna really. That's, of course, the other that I didn't even mention. The other real candidate for turning point of the season is the uh, is the curse of Mandos, um, and the doom of the Noldor, because it's easy enough to show how the burning of the ships uh, and the subsequent ambiguous ending with the march of Fingolfin at the end, uh, uh, as playing out the curse of the Noldor. Um, I guess what I'm wondering, I still don't have a good feel for how, how the story here is going to be distributed across the 13 episodes, like making the curse of Mando Mando's the midpoint. Um, do we really have six episodes worth of, well, I guess if we do a lot of meanwhile, of Valerian stuff. Yeah. We yeah. got the Valerian and we got the bad guys. We got Melkor doing stuff, right? So, yeah. And Sauron. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, we've got we've got we've got we've got plenty of stuff happening there. Um, plus, as Maria's point, plus, as Maria's pointed out, and we have to discuss it. I think in session three is we got the dwarves, the dwarves, exactly. Yeah, okay, so maybe Curse of Mandos. Yeah, maybe the Curse of Mandos. Well, let's see how it falls when we do the when we do the outline, which we'll get to soon. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking. I, I personally, I think either of those is a reasonable candidate in terms of impact mm-hmm. and it probably probably which which we pick um should probably be it's probably going to end up being determined by you know pragmatic issues like you know oh uh, yeah. <laughs> you know like the way we've laid out the story uh, we're not going to burn the ships till episode 10 or something right yeah exactly yeah we'll see we'll see how that goes um, oh by the way I was going to say oh, sorry go ahead so, go ahead. so from that standpoint in terms of themes what about fate Mm-hmm. Yeah, fate or doom. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, certainly with the curse of Mandos, that that really does bring it in. Uh, <clears throat> uh, 
it's going to be hard to avoid thinking about that, of course, as we go through, um, given the significance of that theme following the curse of Mandos. Um, another thing that is, uh, and this has been mentioned by a couple people, uh, pride and the dangers of pride. That's one which attractively we can fit into all of the subplots, right? So we've got Fanor's pride, yeah. obviously. Um, Single. Thingol's sure. pride, exactly. Especially, remember, we we get his relations with the dwarves, right? So his pride and right. and and the this the the dwarf relations can can that can be an issue there, obviously. Um, and uh, and of course, obviously, with Morgoth himself as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Robert Brown mentions very uh, very appropriately. Uh, of course, we have to remember that men awaken at the rising of the sun. Since we're all not doing the rising of the sun until the last moments of the last episode, obviously we don't need to think about men uh, in this season. Um, but it yeah, is definitely... Are we going to get to the men? But I guess... Um, yeah, no, I think, I think not. Um, I mean, the of men chapter of the Silmarillion is right in the midst of all of this that's going on. Um, but yeah, I don't think we... You know, think that's a season four anyway, thing. You know, even... Yeah, I mean, it's too much, right? Because we've already, like you said, we've got. You didn't even mention, I don't think, men in the three stories that you that you listed. Right. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, I think men have to kind of have their own thing, which which actually would be appropriate, I think, to start season four, uh, or or sometime in season four, right? Yeah. And yeah. So then we have exactly. Baron, who is like you know, probably you know, some others that would rise to the top. Right. We can tell stories about. Some Right. Yeah. No. And we'll have some interesting things to think about there uh, in uh, in in season four. But it's but men are definitely a season four concern. But but I'm, Robert, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, uh, I know that's it's a thing we hadn't mentioned yet and is important to well, be explicit about. If we do the rising of the sun at the end of season three, then we do still have that, you know, that we can use yes. at the beginning of season four to show yes. the awakening of men. Right. Yeah, now we can Buddha we can agrees. totally do that. Yeah, see. Buddha from his incredibly dark bedroom, which I have not brought him out of, let me know that he agrees. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, excellent. I think we can. I think we can. We can think about that. So, okay, I don't want to be too prescriptive in advance. I mean, I have felt that the right. themes of the first couple seasons have emerged fairly organically from our 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 episode planning. You know, in detail. Um, so, you know, I'm willing to let that happen. But I think all of this stuff that we're talking about, Pride and uh, as Marie was just sum, uh, summing up, Pride, Doom, you know, ends versus means. Those are all uh, all things that uh, are are good and, and you know, and, and fall. Those are all good themes to, to sort of work with. And we can, uh, you know, gives us lots of material there. All right, we talked about um, the one, midpoint. One last one on that. Here. Yeah. Is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can do with the the confrontation over the the, the ultimately futile confrontation over the Silmarils in terms of like mm. this, this issue of like you know uh, uh, creators, you know, creation. Um, whether you can, you know, like, are you, you know, did 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 Fanor have some obligation to to pitch in for helping with the trees? The, you know, this idea of yeah. like, there's some tasks you can only do once. Yes. Well, and I, I don't know because it, it, it kind of it's an interesting it's an interesting it's an interesting sort of um, question and story in that, and I don't don't know that we ever necessarily revisit later on. So maybe it's not a major theme. Well, but I'm just wondering out yeah. loud. Yeah, no, the major way in which I see that being connected in um, 
And one of the things that I would really like to emphasize is the parallel between the Silmarils and the ships of the Teleri, right? You know, that, that, you know, that whole, that whole SAT analogy, right? The ships are to the Teleri as the Silmarils are to Feanor, right? That, that, that I think we really need to emphasize. Um, because of course, the cool thing about that is it becomes, this kind of comes back around to your idea of making the Teleri the bad guys, uh, uh, Dave, in a sense. Um, when they choose that they would rather fight for the ships, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say the ships aren't a big deal. When they choose that they're, they'd rather fight for the ships, they've made a significant choice too, right? Um, Feanor is not willing to let the work to, of his hands go. Right, he's willing to sacrifice way too much for the sake of the Silmarils. Uh, he's willing to uh, take his oath, which has some quite horrible terms in it. Right, uh, in which he shows the Silmarils uh, the 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 place that the work of his own hands has in his own personal hierarchy. Right, of important things is made clear by the oath, and it's clear that it's out of whack. Right, um, what about the ships and the Teleri, right? Um, uh, anyway, it's just, um, uh, it's just, and yes, Maria's the trees were to Yovana too. Um, so, uh, anyway, yeah, it's, um, um, I think that it's, um, fascinating to think about that a little bit. And again, we can, we can show, cause I don't think that the Teleri are guiltless in the Kinslang. Like, they're not the aggressors. The Kinslang isn't their fault, but it wouldn't have happened without them either. Um, that's clear. That's clear in the text, right? Had they, had they permitted the ships to be taken unjustly, right? But had they permitted it, had they not tried to resist them by force, the Kinslang wouldn't have happened. Um, I think that's pretty clear in the text. Fanor wasn't out for blood. He was out for the ships. Um, and that, um, uh, that, that, same choice of we have the choice either to let you take from us this thing which we value most or we're going to kill you. That's still a choice that the Teleri make and they choose to kill them rather than let them take the ships. Uh, and I'm not 100% sure uh, that that's uh, a good call by them, that that's the right call by them. Um, you know, that there isn't something, that there isn't uh, sort of a fall involved there. So, so Dave, that whole issue of what kind of, uh, how high a priority should be your value for this, for the works of your own hands and, and, uh, how much should you be willing to give up? And, um, uh, I, I think that that, that's definitely something that, that comes up there. Yep. Um, but, uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's, uh, let's keep going. I want to, I want to talk about, so here's timelines. Let's, let's look at, uh, at these timelines, uh, from the, uh, from the history of Middle Earth here. Um, okay. The timeline of the Noldor centric events, we get the flight of the Noldor. We get the doom of Mandos, Feanor reaching Middle Earth and burning the ships, the death of Feanor, the capture of Mithros, Mithros sent to Thangarodrim, and then Fingolfin reaches Middle-earth. Now, you'll notice, even though the timeline, we don't have eons passing in between, these are years, right? Uh, and uh, so it's still, 
This is something that I find really uncomfortable. I always found really uncomfortable. Tolkien began working out the timelines in the annals of Valinor and uh, Beleriand, uh, the, 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 the annals of, yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the annals that he did back right before he started The Lord of the Rings. So this is like 1935 19, to 1937, right around the time that he is doing the work that he believes to be preparing the Silmarillion for publication uh, in 1937, which is what he was hoping for. Um, uh, he makes the, the annals. So he's working out these timelines at that point. And there's still massive amounts of time uh, in here uh, where uh, um, the <laughs> I've been sharing the wrong window all the time. I think I have. That's really funny. Uh, yeah, how about that? That's actually better, isn't it, for you people? Um, my goodness. How funny. Nobody mentioned it either. Um, okay, that's all good. Um, uh, so, okay. So, yeah, I think that... Um, uh, we have to make this happen a good deal sooner. Um, we can't even stick to the uh, the accelerated timeline that we get here um, because there's no way we're going to make two years happen. Uh, we, we we can't depict Mithros hanging on Thangarodrum for two years. I, I mean, notice we have like two years separating the things that we had happen, happening within a single episode, you know, in our, in our first conception here. Um, so... Although this stuff only takes five years in uh, uh, in Tolkien's timeline, it's going to be a substantially less than five years, I think, uh, within the way that we're sort of thinking about that. But now the timeline, uh, here's where it gets tricky. <clears throat> the timeline timeline for all this other stuff, uh, the Beleriand stuff, is earlier. So we got the dwarves entering Beleriand. Um, and so they're doing this, what, almost 250 years before the beginning of season three, right? Chronological beginning of season three. Um, we have the building of Minigroth, Diron inventing runes. I don't know if we want to do, you know, we, 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 we need to have, we need to set up, begin setting up Diron and his importance, right? So that we have him ready for the, for his role in the Baron and Luthien story. Uh, the orcs entering Beleriand, the, Nand, the, the Nandor, the green elves entering Beleriand, uh, and Morgoth's attack uh, happening like 150 years later. Um, now, I don't have any problem with... Um, uh, I don't have any problem with... Uh, um, moving these things up chronologically. Um, I think that having them happening basically, you know, sort of showing this to be something like contemporaneous with the other stuff isn't to me a big deal. The only things that are hard is the stuff that takes time, like the building of Menegroth um, and the dwarves entering Beleriand. That's got to be explicitly a flashback, right? Um, Morgoth has returned. So the orcs coming in and attacking Beleriand and, you know, things beginning to happen there that's all okay to make happening at the same time that the Noldor are coming over. Um, even the green elves, I would be, to- I think I have, if the green, el- the green elves don't have to come and be there for a really long time. I think we can have them come in almost like during the, 
you know, it, we, we don't need to have them come in like uh, uh, sort of cheesily, you know, uh, at the last second intervening in a battle or something like that. But I would have no problem with bringing the green elves in at the time of uh, of the, um, you know, while the, while the conflict with the orcs is going on in the midst of that time period. Um, I wouldn't even have a problem with making, delaying the dwarves until conflict begins to happen. Um, do you see what I mean? What, what, you mean conflict with the dwarves? No, with the orcs. With the orcs. Oh, uh, okay. So, okay, so, I, again, like, basically, we have... The way that it actually, the way the way of the actual chronology is, we have this long time of peace, right? While Morgoth is still in Valinor, so we have this long time of peace in Beleriand, and during that time of peace, the dwarves come in, and we get dwarf elf relations. The dwarves uh, uh, help Thingol build Menegroth. Uh, then the orcs come in, but we're not still in like battle. We just we encounter them and wonder what they are. Then the green elves come in and then, but we still have this general time of peace um, with the green elves and the dwarves and the, and Thingol living in Menegroth. And then battle breaks out later on. Um, I am fine with changing most of that. I would be fine with say a time frame which worked like this, which said Thingol is there Orcs are attacking, right? Like, there's this increasing problem with orcs. Thingol is sort of under siege. While he's under siege, these two things, these, like, two other potential allies show up. Uh, the dwarves and the green elves. So that the meeting with and negotiating with and establishment of relations between or among the gray elves, the dwarves, and the green elves happens in the context of increasing orc aggression and increasing military uh, difficulties. Uh, the In the published text, there's, this re- there's a reference to the fact that at one point along this timeline... Thingol sits down and says, okay, um, we, we're going to need weapons. We don't have any weapons. We're going to need weapons, right? And they work with the dwarves to help them forge weapons. Um, I would be fine, for instance, with having that happen uh, as a stage of the... So if we just depict not Beleriand, really, uh, in a time of peace. We don't really show Beleriand in any extended time of peace. Rather, we show Beleriand under increasing siege by the orcs um, and them having to deal with that and try to survive within that and their relationship with the dwarves and their relationship with the green elves in that context. Um, so... I. Uh, So yeah, we, now we do have the opportunity, Hakan, I agree with you, um, the biggest opportunity we have for a break in the action on the on the Noldor timeline is when they're traveling up the coast, right? After the Kinslaying um, and before the burning of the ships, we get the Curse of Mandos in there. Um, but that's a, that's a gap that we have where we can totally leave the Noldor behind even for a couple entire episodes if we wanted to. Um, but yeah, Nick, exactly. So Nick is perceiving the weak spot. Like, of all the things that I'm talking about, the one thing that I cannot see uh, 
pushing down chronologically, right? Compressing into the later end of this timeline when the orcs are attacking and closer to when the Noldor are coming. The only thing is the building of Menegroth. I don't see... Uh, I would be tempted, Nick, to just say, what if we have, like, when we return to... We've left them behind for a while, right? It's been it's been a long time. It's been since, what, episode six or something of season two uh, that we saw Thingol and Melian over in... You know, we just had Thingol and Melian coming out of their grove, right? And the, the, the concept of the establishment uh, of the new community there in Doriath that's where we left them, right? So when we come back, I think there's every reason to say, hey, and in the meantime, like, they've built this sweet place, right? Now they have, like, a sweet pad over there in Doriath, and it's called Menegroth. That seems to me totally natural. But the thing that we lose by doing it that way is the dwarves can't be involved at all uh, in the making of Menegroth. Personally, I'm willing to sacrifice that. Um, but that would be a sacrifice. That would be the one. The one problem there is that we'd have to we'd have to lose that element. Um, and I, and I don't want to downplay that. That is potentially a significant loss. Uh, significant because it the role of the dwarves in the death of Thingol and the 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 fall of Doriath is uh, important, right? And their involvement with the establishment of Minagroth is, I think, thematically interesting, right? Um, but the other option, if we if we really wanted that, then we could have the building of Minagroth. We could try to incorporate it, but it's hard to accelerate it. I mean, we it could still be in the context of the increasing battle, right? Like, oh, gosh, we really need not only weapons, but a strong place to uh, defend ourselves in, right? Wouldn't that be great? Um, And um, wouldn't it be nice if uh, we had some help doing that and we bring in the dwarves? Um, So I guess we could do that. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's acceptable loss. Yeah. In terms of efficiency. Well, just... I mean, keep in mind, keep in mind that um, the dwarves. Keep in mind that the 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 gap, like the um, the gap between the dwarves helping helping the Sindar build Menegroth, right. and then right. the dwarves murdering Thingol yes. is going to be something like twenty seasons. Well, not twenty, but it's going to be. It's it's long enough. Five to, seasons, long enough maybe. To be, that, it's one could make the argument that the impact is going to be pretty is going to be pretty minimal anyway, right. um, um, uh, and yeah, or, or that you know we we can make this sacrifice now, but there'll be plenty of opportunities if we feel it's necessary to do a plant payoff thing. Then, um, uh, then um, you know, I, I think I think I think it's manageable. I think we'll have other opportunities to kind of lay some story groundwork and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Nick's argument is that we should be building the relationship between Thingol and the dwarves, not taking it away. I agree we do want to build the relationship between Thingol and the dwarves. Um, uh, Ooh, that's an interesting idea, Marie. Marie says we could show dwarves as artisans working in the completed Menegroth. Um, uh, Hmm. Well, 
let's see. Let's 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 proceed to the to the outlining. Oh, and this is the uh, this is the timeline of the years of the sun. Um, uh, Rising of the sun and moon, Fingolfin's arrival. Um, yeah, most of this is not going to be happening here during the during season. So where some of this is going to. So the line here, if if the line is basically here at about year two, uh, at the end of season three. So we're we're good there. Okay, so let's think about. I have a I have a, a separate uh, uh, document here prepared because I want to I want to be I want to be working this out in detail here. Let's 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 map out the main things that we want to cover um, in these three story arcs, right? So so that we make sure we have all the elements and we can and we're ready and then we're ready to to put that into the outline, right? Okay, so. Major events in the Noldor story arc. We have the Oath of Feanor, right? And the re- the, the re- Rebellion. And here I'm saying... So I just got my splint off my finger, which is really great. I finally have a fun- fully functional left hand again. Um, but uh, my finger's really stiff, so my typing is still kind of strained. I apologize for that. Um, okay, so the Oath of Feanor and the Rebellion, the Kinslaying. Those are, those are no-brainers. Um... We need to have the uh, the exciting moving up the coast thing. Well, that's but like the the divided host, right, is a big deal. Mm-hmm. With the host of Fingolfin marching on land and the host of Feanor sailing in the ships, right. So that's sort of an issue. Uh, we have the curse of Mandos. We have. Um, hey, how about we do this? bullet it. Okay. We've got the Curse of Mandos. We've got the Burning of the Ships. The Crossing of the Helcaraxa. And I think we need to make a big deal of the Crossing of the Helcaraxa. We need to spend some time on the Helcaraxa. Right? I mean, I'm thinking we might want a Helcaraxa episode, or at least an episode which which features the Helcaraxa very significantly. Right? Because not only... Do we need to make sure that we really convey what a big deal it is, uh, you know, the the suffering entailed in the crossing of the Helcaraxa? But we're losing characters, right? I mean, we've got, like, Turgon's wife's got to die, and, you know, we've got... Um, ooh, Un and Storm! Yeah! Awesome! You're so right, Nick. Thank you for that. Uh, Un and Storm. Yes. Yes, very good. Oh, and the turning back of Finarfin? Absolutely. Absolutely. Finarfin turns back. Excellent. Good, good. Um, okay, so we need the crossing of the Helcaraxa. Um, uh, and then... Okay, so uh, the... So Fanor's death, right? The battle that culminates in Fanor's death with the Balrogs involved with that. Uh, we have the, um, the parley with Morgoth, right? And the capture of Mithros. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, well, right. Marie Fenarf in terms, but yeah, sorry. Sorry. I was just, that's where I was there. Let me, that should be after the Curse of Mandos. Absolutely. Okay. Um, 
All right. Yeah, I know, Nick, there are a series of battles when the Fanorians arrive. We can kind of play that by ear, right? So we'll we'll um we'll say battles and Fanor's death, right? We 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 can we do have the option for more battles. I'm kind of thinking we're not, we're not going to need uh as much there. But um okay, um anything else I'm forgetting? Any other major things we need to we need to be recalling here? Okay. Nope, I think that's covers it. All right, good. So the Balerian story arc, stuff that we need to make sure that we do. Um, the kind of the ongoing siege, I'm probably skipping over some things, but the ongoing siege of Doriath. Right, sort of increasing. Well, hang on a second. We need the review of the orcs, right? Yes. Because that's going to be you know, drawing back the curtains on the orcs is going to be a big deal. Um, but does that belong in the Angband story arc? Is that how are we going to do? Are we going to are we going to introduce orcs? Is the first time we see orcs going to be? Oh no, we've already seen the orcs, right? We've been kind of working on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, ha, see, oh, I forgot. Hang on. There's a. There's another. I need to. Um, uh, we need uh, Valinor stuff. Sorry, another category. Um, yeah, we, I, we've done some orc stuff, so uh, uh, script writers remind us, how much orc stuff have we done? Oh, the Girdle of Million. Yeah, yeah, the Girdle of Million. Um, how much orc stuff have we done? Right, we've seen Captive Elves, not Orc. Okay, right, yeah, so we do need to... Re- um, yeah, the super-secret necromantic Orc project. Um, that, of course, the, the primarily that's going to be in the Angband arc, but um, let's not worry yet about um, about what happens where. But the revelation, the first time the Orcs come and attack Elves, that's going to be in the Balerian story arc. Um, the Girdle of Melian, so we got, you know, increasing uh, Orc aggression, right? Uh, meeting the dwarves, uh, dwarf alliances, weapons, helping with Menegroth, perhaps in some sense. We want them involved there. We don't want to lose that relationship completely. Um, arrival of the green elves, slaughter of the green elves, <laughs> uh, Death of Denethor. Okay. Um, yeah, Hakan, I'm not sure whether we do. I think we do need to separate them. I think if we have the Green Elves just show up, get slaughtered, and, and get slaughtered in the same episode, it, it could be moving and tragical, but it could also be comical. Um, uh, ooh, Ale. Yeah. Um establishing Ale and then Elmoth. We need to remember that. Um, Hakon wants us to recall to include Ents, which is an interesting idea. We should uh, 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 have Treebeard around. Um, uh, possibly, of course, uh, in association, Hakon with the Green Elves, quite likely. Yeah, yeah, that seems... Um, um, okay, right. Dairon and Runes. Obviously, not all of these things are full episode concepts, right? Uh, oh, yeah, Tony, great question. And sorry, I noticed that you asked that before. Um, the uh, the birth of Luthien. 
Um, do we do the birth of Luthien in here? I say yes. Let's include the, the birth of Luthien. Um, we need to establish her early on. Um, and, oh, yes, thank you, Ruth. Uh, Tom Bombadil cameo. That's got to be worked in there. We can't include him in the Noldor plot yet, so he's got to be in the Balerian story arc somewhere. Um, yeah, and I, Marie, I agree. We don't necessarily need to show Luthien being born, but uh, uh, whether she's fully grown or whether she's a child uh, or whatever, we can, depending on where we, uh, we, we, we put them. Yeah. Um, okay, good, good. Uh, anything else? Anything else we need here? Well, then, of course, we have, you know, the uh, final battles. Uh, Sindar losing. Not, not losing. Losing, yeah. Um, uh, so, basically, the, the story arc of, of, the, of Beleriand does not end well, right? At the end of Season 3, it should look like uh, the, or, the elves of Beleriand are about to get uh, uh, stamped out. Um do the Noldor and Sindar meet in this season? No, I don't think they do. Um, well, there are Grey Elves that live in Mithrim, so some of them would be there. Um, Marie, what if... How about this? How about this? I got it. The end of the Balerian story arc is Thingol hearing news of the arrival of the Noldor. So that we're setting up season four, right? Um, so the, the, we have Grey Elves in Mithrim and have them meet the Feanorians and witness the battles. And uh, uh, so maybe we can even have one of the scenes of orcs coming in and like slaughtering Grey Elves. And that can happen in Mithrim. And we have the Feanorians come in and rescue them. Right. So they drive the orcs away and we have one of those Grey Elves go to Menegroth and report to Thingol that deliverance has come. Right. And they, they can even say it in that um, in that sense, right? Like deliverance has come from Valinor. We are saved. Um, that would be, uh, that would be kind of fun. So, okay. Anything else, anything else we need to think about including there? Not all of these details do we need necessarily to, to include, uh, in the outset here in the outline, but okay. Oh, great question, Zachary. Anything with Kyrdin this season? Yeah. Kyrdin is going to be involved. Um, uh, but I'll just, oops, sorry. I'll mention it here so that we remember to include him. But he's involved in the, he's, you know, the ally of Thingol. Um, and uh, the orcs are going to be attacking the havens too. So we can make sure to remember to have him involved. Um, okay. Uh, oh, Robert. Very good. The petty dwarves. Yes. Yeah, we do need the petty dwarves. We got to remember the petty dwarves. Um, we need meme. We need meme to be involved. We need meme being aggrieved, right? When we meet meme, he's aggrieved already, right? He's pre-aggrieved when we meet him. Um, uh, we need to establish why he's aggrieved. Oh, hey, hang on, hang. 
<laughs> I like Hakan's suggestion. Hakan says, Kirden should feel a disturbance when the ships burn, right? We, we, we have the burning of the ships, and we, we go to Kirden, you know, who, like, wakes up from a nightmare or something. That would be funny. Um, see, Tony, I was thinking the same thing. What if we involve Meme in the Menegroth story, right? What if, in fact, Meme lived in the site of Menegroth? And that, and it was and and it was like he feels that it was taken from him or something, um, uh, yeah. I that I, I uh, that's what I was thinking, right? Because I mean, what else can be taken from? It? He feels that the reason that Meme is aggrieved uh, is that like the elves came and they took away all of the lands of the petty dwarfs. Like that's what he feels. Um, uh, it's always funny to me that like they're talking about them taking away all their land since there's so much empty space in, Bel- in Beleriand. It's not like we're having a, a, you know massive imperialization. But anyway, it's fine. Um, Menegroth is a candidate, right? What if he had set up there? And you know, obviously, we're not going to have Thingol and Melian coming in and just seizing Menegroth from him and taking and and kicking Meme out. Uh, it's not like Thingol and Melian are going to be looking around the caves and be like, "Oh yeah, uh, this is a great place. We've got to kick out these dwarves, and we're good." Um, however, I think that we could, um, uh, we definitely could uh, do as part of a negotiation with the dwarves. Right. That like meme is not meme doesn't make the decision. Meme is not, you know, he's uh, he, he he is not an agreement. Right. It's part of the part of the negotiation that that uh, Thingol has with um, with the dwarves and they 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 give him these caves. But meme is not happy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hakan says they don't notice him at all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And yes, Tony, he's also aggrieved over Nargothrond. Um, but it seems very meme-like to me that he would be, um, uh, like, basically all of the good cave systems in Beleriand, he basically claims, like, those are, those are obviously the, the, the right of the dwarves, uh, and that dwarves would have discovered them and, and, uh, uh, and explored them at the very least, even if they weren't really settled in them. Um, uh, Karita asks, is he the guy that's like, let the record show that I was against this and no one listens? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, that's, that's pretty much what, uh, uh, what I, where I was going with that there. Um, but, um, but yeah, exactly, Nick. Nogrod and Belagost grant Menegroth to Thingol. Because you see, it is possible. Thingol and Melian don't have to be living in a strong... Because remember, we've, we've, got the gir- we've, we've got the girdle here. That is to say, Menegroth is not necessarily a military necessity. I mean, the girdle of Melian is a sufficient defense, right? So... It doesn't, in a sense, Menegroth is overkill. It doesn't actually matter that Thingol, Thingol could, uh, you know, live in a, uh, in a, in a, in a bungalow by the river, right? He's inside the girdle of Melian. No one's getting in. So, um, he does not have to have a military fortification. The, the, the girdle of Melian renders the priority of a military fortification in the face of orc encroachment less important. So we don't necessarily have to have them being in Menegroth in advanced. Um, uh, yeah. Um, 
See, Robert, I don't know. Robert is saying that, you know, it can't be meme personally because dwarves don't live that long. Um, you know, that meme is the last of that people and, and could, like, inherit the grievance of his people. But I don't know, Robert. I'm kind of tempted. Uh, meme, of course, originally in the, you know, in the, the I think even in the Book of Lost... No, definitely in the Book of Lost Tales. In the Book of Lost Tales, meme is the original dwarf. Meme is Durin in the original concept. Meme is is the alpha dwarf. Uh, originally, um, rather than the last remnant. So the idea of having Meme be really crusty and ancient, I actually kind of like, even if his lifespan is like somewhat longer than dwarves, um, than, than, than dwarves go on to be, you know, than their lifespan is by the third age. Uh, I'm okay with having him, uh, having him be older. Um, <laughs> Nick suggests, what if it's a new meme? Like, like Durin keeps popping up uh, in in his bloodline, and we can have multiple memes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome, Karita! You named your grumpy liz- pet lizard meme. That's a great name for for a pet lizard. That is a fantastic name for a pet lizard. Um, okay, but yeah, no, I think I I, I think it needs to be meme. Why? I mean. I want to make him a more prominent character. Like I, it will give his role in the Turin story so much more power if we set his character up earlier on. Um, so I think that's, uh, uh, I think that's, I think that's cool. I, th- I think, I think we should totally do that. So yeah. All right. Okay. Um, but yeah, thanks for the reminder of petty dwarfs. I almost totally forgot about the petty dwarfs there. Um, anything else that were, um, where, yeah, Nick, exactly. Think about the relationship between Beleg and Meme, right? Then, see, if we have this, then it's not just... Beleg and Meme could have met, right? Beleg is going to be right there with Thingol. Uh, you know, when they're... when they're uh, You know, here's Beleg showing up with, with, with like, the cardboard boxes as they're moving in uh, to Menegroth, and Meme is still standing there and protesting. Uh, so, uh, so it's not just that Meme is going to have animosity against elves in general, uh, as is emphasized in the Turin story. He's going to remember Beleg. Personally, I, I like it. I like it. Um, uh, yeah, and Nick, exactly. The, from Beleg's point of view, it's going to be... Um, Nick says uh, we should, you know, suggesting we give uh, Beleg the line, like, I had no idea you were still in business uh, uh, meme. I like that. Um, uh, yeah, and Brianna, I agree that the, the amount of time that's passing here, I think we, we could, it, things are accelerating pretty quickly, so um, it's not going to take all that long. Um, I, I, I do think it's, we're not going to, we would not have to make Meme live a ridiculously long time in order to have him still be around. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, all right, cool. And yeah, Robert, I mean, I do, th- we do need to think about the petty dwarves. Uh, I mean, the petty dwarves, um, they clearly have to be one of the other houses of dwarves. And I agree, Robert, there's no reason we couldn't make meme one of the original dwarves, right? If the, if the dwarves that were fashioned by Omo, um, were the fathers, you know, of the seven houses of the dwarves, uh, why not make meme one of them? We certainly could, right? He could be the, he could be the, the head of this other family, um, which would give him the more reason for protesting and feeling ill done by if other um, uh, houses of dwarves basically concede Menegroth and he feels that his family has, a, you know, that his tribe has a, uh, a stake there at Menegroth. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yep, 
like this. <laughs> Nick says this 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 uh, uh, feeds right into his reincarnation of meme theory. So there you go. Um, yeah, cool. All right, I like it. Okay, and Meng Ang Ang Band story arc. What are the elements that we need to do? Of course, here the secret necromantic orc project culminates, right? Uh, so we're going to release uh, we're going to re- release orcs 1.0 right out into the wild uh, and let them go. And of course, we have here Sauron has done the you know Myron did the initial things, right? You know he 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 started working on this project. So we're going to you know when we talk about the culmination of uh, of the of the super secret necromantic orc project, um, we have Melkor coming in and taking over that, right? And we talked about that a little bit last time, in last season, I mean. Um, uh, so uh, yes, um, uh, Morgoth taking over, taking over the project, right? The project is under new leadership. Um, uh, we have to keep thinking about the power struggle. Um, between Sauron and Gothmog. Um, remember, Gothmog kills... Uh, uh, it's, of course, already there, but Gothmog kills Feanor, right? This is a big deal. Um, Gothmog gets several important um, milestones, right? <clears throat> uh, and one of them is he kills Feanor. He's going to kill Fingon, too, eventually. Um, but this is... Um, um, this is a big deal. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Rickle asks, uh, is there going to be any mention of Casa Doom among the dwarves? Yeah. We have to have them talk about it. Um, they can mention it. Um, obviously, it's not going to come in. We're not going to have a, a further... Meanwhile, over in Eriador, uh, you know, we're not going we're, we're to go there yet because we don't really need to, but we should certainly make sure that we make reference to uh, the, uh, the legendary mansions of, the, of Durin's folk. Um... What is Sauron up to? Because um, we don't know. There are, if I remember correctly, no references to Sauron of any kind between the return of Morgoth and the Baron and Luthien story. Um, but we don't want to uninvolve... We, we get Bal- Balrog references, right? Especially in the killing of... Uh, of um, what is Sauron up to? I know... Capture of Mithros should totally be him. With a T, look at me. The capture of Mithros. So the betrayal um, of the like the parley, the parley can totally be Sauron's idea. Um, yeah, the parley needs totally to be Sauron's idea. That's his. So Gothmog has just killed Feanor, um, which is kind of a uh, you know a major win for his side, right? And then Sauron comes in with this other idea, which is a much more Sauronish idea. Right. Um, yeah, it is totally a Sauron move, Nick. I absolutely agree. Um, yeah, he is going to be... T- right, okay, of course, good. Yeah, uh, Robert was mentioning the capture of Minas Tirith is the only other reference. Yeah, and that's explicitly a setup uh, for the Baron and Luthien story, right? Yeah, so in, in season four, he's going to capture Minas Tirith. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um Do we have another possibility? Another possibility is that he, maybe he's in charge, he and his people, 
are in charge of the Beleriand side, right? Because, I mean, really, uh, Morgoth is going to be... Fo- uh, he's he, he's going to know that he's going to have war on two fronts, right? Um, he's going to find out that the Noldor are coming. He's going to guess that somebody is going to come, right? He's going to be probably expecting the Valar to come after him, right? So he's fortifying. There we go. Uh, fortification of Thangorodrim um, in anticipation of the Valar attacking him. And then he finds out that the Valar aren't coming, which he would consider good news, and that the Noldor are coming, right? So he's going to be preparing for war in the north uh, uh and Gothmog will be made the captain of that. Uh, you know, Balrogs and the war in the north. Um, so Sauron could then lead the war in the south, right, against Beleriand, which is interesting because uh, notice how this, if we do that, notice how that sets it up. Sauron is winning, and Balrog, and the Balrogs are losing, right? Gothmog is losing. The Balrogs are up there. The Balrogs and the Balrog armies are up there getting their butts kicked uh, by the Fanorians, right? In the south, things are going swimmingly, right? Um, and, of course, this also enables us to have more than just pitched battles. If we have the sneaky Sauron squad, right, in charge of the campaign in the south, the orcs can be doing sneakier and more devious things. And we can have, you know, Draugluin and Tevildo and, um, uh, what's her name, Thurin Gwethil, uh, involved in that and, you know, leading ops and things uh, down there. Um, uh, that, would make, that would make sense because we see him active down there later. Yes, exactly. That's kind of his area, right? Um, but it, out of curiosity, in what way is in what way are things going swimmingly? Because he's up against this impenetrable barrier. Well, okay. You know, there's like, the girdle of million. It's going swimmingly in that he slaughters most of the green elves, right, and kills their okay. king. Uh, he has besieged Doriath, and he's also besieged the havens. Like he's doing well against Cirdan as well. Um, so he basically can go can go back and say, all right, they have a few strongholds that I'm going to need some assistance with, but uh, I've pretty much subdued Beleriand, right? Beleriand is pretty much ours at this point. Um, there's that whole girdle thing, and I don't know what to make of that. You know, we're, we're doing some, we're, we're going to do some R&D, but, uh, um, but, but we've got Beleriand handled. Hey, Gothmog, how are things going in the north, right? Oh, yeah, you're losing every battle? I mean, we could say, like... The, yeah, so that could be fun. But then, of course, Gothmog gets the one big accomplishment, right? He he kills Feanor, so uh, so things sort of remain balanced. Now, Nick, I like your idea. Um, Nick is suggesting that uh, Sauron can basically kind of be put in charge of R&D, um, uh, working on the next big project. Oh, yeah, so you, Nick, you think he's he's doing uh, advanced preparations for the, uh, for the Sea of Flames? I think that's got to happen in Season 4, right? I, but I love that. I love the idea that the Dragor, the Dagor, Bragalach is basically his idea, right? Sauron's strategy. I like it. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, ooh. Hakan, that's a great point. Um, Hakan is asking, what about Bulldog? Okay, so Bulldog is the leader, is is like the King Orc. He's like the Great Goblin of the First Age. Um, he would be, he's of course a new player 
if we introduce him. Um, it would be interesting to have a named orc, I think. Um, we don't need many named orcs, but one named orc would be fun, I think. Um, Nick suggests, so I'll put, I'll put, I'll put, that, that's a, that's a great idea. I had not been thinking about bulldog, but I totally should have been bulldog. Um, and Nick, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you that, uh, he's Gothmog's man. Bulldog should be, uh, uh, should be Gothmog's guy. Um, yes, yes. Um, the main references to Bulldog are in the Lay of Lathian. Uh, he is actually working on invading Doriath. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, and yes, Robert, you're right, um, as uh, Hakan was suggesting as well, that he's basically he's basically a Maya. He's totally different. This is something that Tolkien was uh, talks about in his later writings. This idea that the the great goblin, like the the the, the leaders of the goblins, um, like Azog and the great goblin of the misty of the misty mountains and stuff, are not just tribal warlords among the orcs. That they're hierarchically different. You know, that these are like Maiar that are placed among the orcs to rule them. Um, so we could do that. Um, we could have Morgoth. That could be one. Uh, the embodiment of Bulldog could be one of the ways that we show Morgoth taking over the project, right? Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, And yes, Tony, I agree. So hang on a second. So let's um, let's just brainstorm for a second. R&D projects. What are R&D projects that we... Well, we know that he's already uh, uh, been doing werewolves, right? So we, we'll have him increase werewolf production. Um, uh, dragons. We don't have... You know, Glaurung is going to come out for a while. Uh, Glaurung is going to be a season four thing, so I don't think we want to go there at all in season three. Um, but again, just kind of jotting down places where we're going to, ooh, trolls. Yeah, we need trolls at some point. If we're going to bring the Ents in, the Ents can encounter the orcs, and Sauron could observe this, right? Um, and he could be like, okay, we need an anti Ent measure. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, trolls totally need to happen in season three. Werewolves. So he begins with the increased production of werewolves, which is fine. Oops. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I would... If Sauron is running the campaign in the south, right... Um, he's going to be thwarted by the Girdle of Millions. So he's going to feel like he's doing very well, but he's got the Girdle of Millions. Sauron is not going to give up when he encounters the Girdle of Million. Instead, he's going to be like, okay, we've got to find a way, right? Um, we have to counter this. And so he's going to be developing things that will counter the Girdle of Million. Um, could that... 
It's really interesting, Robert. Robert says, what about ring lore? That is, and, and Robert, what, what I like about that, there's a certain parallel, right? Um, the rings of power are designed to give him dominion over the elves, um, to sort of one-up the power of the elves. That would be his impulse with Melian, too, right? Melian is his peer. Um, he's not just going to want to, like, break through the girdle of Melian. He's going to want to twist it, dominate it, control it. That would be Sauron's impulse, wouldn't it? My th- yeah, that, that makes sense. My thinking is... Hmm, okay. Aha. Yeah, Nick. Uh, Yes. Yes, Nick. You've got it. Spiders. Ungoliant. And the seed, the offspring of Ungoliant. Remember that the giant spiders, of whom Shelob is one, right, are in the northern, are at the northern border of Doriath. Maybe the giant spiders, the offspring of Ungoliant. So, so Sauron's big project, he's like, okay, we have to breed Ungoliant, right? We need offspring of Ungoliant. Because that would be, that's, that's the ticket, right? That's his, how do you counter the girdle of Melian? Um, well, Ungoliant could do it, right? Ungo- he thinks of the Ungoliant's power to, to, you know, he's not encountered Ungoliant much herself, but he, he, you know, Morgoth obviously tells him about it. Um, and of course, I love the parallel here, Nick, right? It worked, remember, Sauron in Dol Guldur is what brings about the corruption of Mirkwood and the giant spiders in Mirkwood, the later descendants of Ungoliant. So we have Mirkwood as sort of like a later echo of what he would have wanted to do to Doriath, right? Um and so the giant spider, the reason the giant spiders are lurking on the northern boundary there of Doriath is that they're, um, the plan is to have them kind of come in and try to invade. And yeah. And then Nick exactly setting up the, uh, setting up his relationship with Shelob. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Shelob is, uh, Shelob is, is right there. Um, uh, so thinking about Sauron and Shewab's relationship extending over time, right? That's fantastic, actually. I love that. Um, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, exactly, Nick. Shewab is the last of his pet spiders. Um, yeah. Okay, no, that's it. This is totally the way. Um, and maybe he has some plan. So when he ta- so in I'm thinking ahead now, but in season four, he takes over Minas Tirith in part because he's still working on Doriath, right? Sauron is still, is to, he, he's still on that project. Uh, so he takes over Minas Tirith because it's, it's not far. Um, and he's, he's working on his, uh, his giant spider initiative uh, to try to uh, corrupt and pervert the girdle of Melian. And and of course, but of course, the uh, the the process gets interrupted uh, when uh, Luthien kicks his butt, uh, and he ends up going off. And uh, instead, uh, ooh, yeah, of course, um, uh, oh yeah, no, no so uh, not Dorloman. Um, uh, what is it? I'm blanking on the Dorthonian, Dorthonian, um, Tarnifuin, 
right? Which is the proto Merkwood. Taranafuan is the this is the um this is the 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 test subject, right? He takes Dorthonian and he corrupts it with his spiders and his uh darkness uh and his confusion and everything. Dorthonian is the anti um is the anti Doriath, right? It's what he's trying to make Doriath into. It's his testing ground and tri- oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, this is great. This works. This totally works. Um, yeah, so... Darn it. Sorry, I keep forgetting to click over here. Uh, spiders. Absolutely. Shelob. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, some of that's going to be season four, so we don't have to... Yeah, you know, we don't have to necessarily go that far into it. Um, but, um... But, oh, yeah, I love this. I love this. Um, excellent. Okay. Valinorian stuff that we can't forget to include. This includes um, sorry, lead up to the Curse of Mandos. Right? You know, and yet remain evil. Um, Do we want do we want Dave? Do you think we want the Valar to be reacting to? Um, oh, by the way, I should mention uh, Trish has a a work commitment, so she has to sort of she's she's she had to leave. She's sort of going to be quietly Just slipping out. So yeah, if you're wondering like where what happened, to, I don't want to. I want people to think that uh, like uh, we've just sort of deleted Trish here. Uh, Trish has Maybe. to. Has to, her exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't want anyone to think that we just like voted her off the island here. Um, yeah, she has to slip out at the end of the episodes. Um, anyway, do we want to have like Valar reaction shots to some of the early stuff? Do, do we need to show them reacting to the Curse of Mandos? Do we need to show them reacting to the Kinslaying? I mean, I guess the lead up to Mandos could basically be the, um, you know, the the reaction to the Kinslaying. I think, I think, I think so. I don't know if I, I, I think it you know depends on how we execute it. I don't think we want to do some kind of hokey like you know. Right. Um, <laughs> we're going to do some some hokey thing where Spanor uh, swings his sword and cuts down some Teleri, and then we s- switch to um, some Valar standing nearby who gets splattered with blood on their face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. But but, but yeah, I, I think I think. Um, I don't know what the right way to do it is. Are they going to be talking amongst themselves or whatever? But I, I do think, I don't think, I don't think we want them to just vanish from the story at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but it, it is. This does present a, a, a dilemma in some sense that um, as as the story moves overseas to the emphasis of the story, focus of the story moves overseas to Valerian more and more. Um, how, how do we want to use the Valar? Do they become yeah. like a Greek chorus type mechanism where they're just kind of <laughs> removed and commenting? Right. We, um, we occasionally pan back and find the Valar, uh, you know, commenting like Stettler and Waldorf on the on the activities of Middle Earth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chat heckling, heckling <laughs> exactly. uh, and his son. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think. I, I mean, obviously, I think probably what we should do over time is we should. It, it, the, our our approach should mimic the way the story the stories evolve toward the Lord of the Rings, where mm-hmm. 
we're, you know, from the point of view of the characters, the Valar aren't directly involved in things anymore. So eventually they will, in some sense, disappear from the show. Um, I think it'd be really hokey if we were, like, doing cutbacks to them during the Lord of the Rings part of those. those right, um, right. Show. But, right. Uh, but I think at this point, certainly, you know, for the for these current events, I think they, they, uh, they need to be reacting to the kinslaying, um, the curse of Mandos, that yes. kind of stuff. Yes. And then I think even, 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 hmm, I don't know. I have to think about this. Even, even up until the war of wrath, they should be somehow, you know, we should be representing them paying attention in some way. Yes, definitely. You know, one of the ways that we've already kind of talked about that a little bit is with, um, the musical themes, right? You know, we have the, 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 integration of one of their themes in an event that's going on, implying that they're connected or involved. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, good. And, uh, and Hey folks on the Twitch chat, I am looking at the Twitch chat actually on this. Uh, I'm trying to anyway. Uh, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. So do feel free. You can participate there. I should be, and and I'll be able to, to see what you're saying there. Um, Okay. Well, this will be, Dave, certainly a question to come back to in season four significantly. We still have several actual events that happen in Valinor, so we'll be kind of phasing them out. But the the real crisis point of how do we keep them involved isn't going to happen yet in this season, so we don't have to worry about that right now. But I agree, it's certainly an issue we need to be considering as we move forward. Um. Okay, so I wrote the non-reaction to, of the Valar to, to Feanor's rebellion because I do think that we need to, to show that, right? That when they, um, uh, when the when Feanor rebels and swears his oath and, uh, you know, sort of casts his defiance in the teeth of the Valar and then leave, there's, got, I mean, everyone has the question, like, so is uh, Manway going to step in and stop him here, right? And the narrator tells us that they had decided not to. But I think we need to show that. We need to show that decision process and even have a debate possibly among them. I mean, I've got to think that Tolkas is going to want to go down and, and like, administer a, a sharp spanking to Feanor. Um, but I don't think that, you know, obviously we're not going to let that happen. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Boromond in the Twitch chat, yeah, that uh, Olmo might be relaying information back later on, but I think they can, I think, well, I mean... Remember, Manway can see uh, all of Middle Earth from where he is, so that's uh, uh, so that's okay. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Hmm. Yeah, and of course we. Oh, Uinen and Ose, right? Yes. Ase not allowed to react. Uinen acting anyway. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Um Yeah, good. Oh. Yeah. Reception of Finarfin. Yeah. When Finarfin turns back, do we want to show his returning back and his, like, being forgiven and uh, the establishment of his rule at Tyrion? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, We might want to do that. Okay. 
All right. So um, that's enough to go on. So we, now, now here's the job. The job is to take all this stuff and to squeeze it into 13 episodes. Good luck. There we go. Okay, so let's do this right now. Episode one. Okay, the rebellion of Feanor. Yep. And uh, I will put some bullet points underneath each for... There we go. So we have um, the oath happens here. Do we have the non-reaction of the Valar? Do we go to the Valar and have them choose not to react in the same episode? I say yes. Yes. Okay, so the non-reaction of Valar, that happens there. Um, do we do anything... We don't go to Beleriand yet. We just start off in Valinor still. So we're, we don't, yeah. we don't, we're, we're not, we're yeah. not in Beleriand. Do we do anything with the bad guys? Mm. Nah, not yet. I think we can keep. Maybe only, maybe like a tiny, eh, yeah, I think we save it. I kind of like, um, we've been, we've been rewatching some Game of Thrones recently in preparation mm-hmm. for the, this, the coming season. And I sort of like their approach, uh, especially in the later seasons where they just focus on one, one, you know, like they try not to jump back and forth too much between, um, you know, 18 different storylines, but they kind of zoom in and they, you know, sometimes certain characters don't appear in an entire episode, but then next episode's dedicated to them. I think that's a good approach. Right, right. Okay. Okay. Um, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think that's good. And so since it seems to me that the beginning, our first glimpse of the bad guys right, at Angband, has to be the establishment of the new pecking order, right? You know, Morgoth coming in and how Sauron and, and Gothmog are now positioned beneath him and 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 Morgoth taking over the, the necromantic orc project, right? So, and and maybe the introduction of Bulldog uh, in that context. We don't, certainly don't have time for that in the first episode. No. Yeah, or no. probably the what second. Good, what might be good is like toward the end of the episode to kind of to even just do very brief um, montage or brief scenes at, with some of these other locations and characters just to kind of set them up so that, so that folks kind of know, like, oh, that's what this season's about. So maybe a brief visit to Angband. I, I'm not sure what it should look like. But. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe a shot of Sauron sulking in his room because he <laughs> lost his cockpit. <laughs> right. Okay, brief visit to Angband, I agree. All right. Um, okay, no problem, no problem. I know Nick is cautioning us about the length of our Beleriand things here, and we need to get around to it, but I'm still thinking the first two episodes are Valinorian, um, because the second one is the Kinslaying. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I want to. Ma- I want to maintain the the momentum that we have from the end of season two into Feanor's events. After the Kinslaying, things calmed down tremendously for the Noldor for a while. We have oodles of time uh, to interject uh, Beleriandic material, uh, not to mention Angbandian material, uh, into the story at that point. But I think the first two episodes really have to focus on the rebellion and oath of Feanor and then the kinslaying. Um, so, okay. Uh, we do the kinslaying obviously, and that's the majority of this episode. Um, we're going to want to do Ase and Uinen. Do we have the, or, or do we, do we have the storm? Uinen storm at the end of this episode? 
Or do we save sure. that? Because we could save that for another episode uh, in which they're not doing as much. The Noldor aren't as involved. We could make the storm of... I mean, it's hard because it's an immediate reaction to the kinslaying, right? Um, so delaying I, it would I be weird. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, honestly, I'm, I kind of feel like it's going to end up being window dressing. It's just going to kind of like we're not going to make a big thing out of like, oh, that's a Wienan storm. It's just, right. just going to be it's going to be like almost like an Easter egg. There'll be a storm after it, and then if you know the story, you'll be like, oh, I know what that is. Oh, I don't know. I think we might want to because we can through the story of Ase and Uinen and their non-reaction and reaction to this, we can work in the res- the reaction of the Valar to the kinslaying, um, the immediate rea- response to the kinslaying. Oh, uh, okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, no, no I, th- I think we do that. I think we do that. Um, uh, yeah, Mike, there is a lot of action here, but I, I don't think we can take more than two episodes to do these two things. I think that this is actually kind of stretching it out a little bit. Um, see, no matter how much time we give ourselves, it's still, I think it's, uh, uh, but honestly, I think this is a good problem. Um, I think if we're, if we find ourselves in a place where we're saying, how can we possibly invent enough stuff to fill up episodes, that's a much more dangerous place for us to be than how can we... I feel like if we're not constantly asking the question, like, how can we squeeze all of this great stuff into these this number of episodes? If we don't do that, uh, then we're... Um, I, I think we're not doing things right, uh, frankly. Um, okay. Um, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah, Karita says, uh, Dave, that uh, we spent time setting up uh, Unin's relationship with the Teleri, so, you know, we'd feel a bit cheated if uh, we don't get to see her grief for them. Um, so and, fine. Yeah, and I agree. Like, Unin's storm as the grief of the, of the you know, all of the Valar uh, at the Kinslaying, um, that the reaction, ag- uh, 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 you know, um, against the Kins, of the, uh, 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 the reaction to the Kinslaying, uh, I'm losing my prepositions, uh, is grief, first and foremost, uh, even more than anger, um, is, uh, I think, uh, a really, a really good thing. Okay. All right. Episode three. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Uh, so... We're just moving up the coast, right? So uh, uh, do we cut from the Noldor? Do we need to send them pack? Send them packing? Uh, darn it. Um, sorry, I always have to keep having the wrong window selected. Um, do we need to send them on their way first? Um, or can we just cut away from them after the storm and go to Beleriand then, and then come back to the... Yeah, maybe we do that. Maybe we come back to the Noldor later, and when we come back to them, we find that Fingolfin is marching up the coast and the Feanorians are in the boats. Yeah, right? I like it. Okay, all right. So we, so here we're... Uh, possibly even possibly even have... Um, possibly even have kind of an ambiguous ending to the Kinslaying. Yes. So, so don't, don't wait around till they've... Um, Yes. Massacring everyone, loaded into the boats, and said, "Well, let's head off." Yes. But kind of, kind of fade out in the middle of like the thick of the action, and leave open the possibility that maybe they'll lose, maybe the Valar will, inter- maybe the Valar will intervene, maybe they'll change their minds and think better of what they're doing. 
And then what we see is later on, what we see is Fingolfin marching up the coast. And we think, oh, what's going on there? And then we see Feanor in the boats. And we're like, oh, okay, we got it now. Okay. Okay. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to Beleriand then. So meanwhile in Beleriand, um, we need to establish... Darn it. We need to establish... that? Sorry. It's my... I, I keep clicking over on the comments to read the comments, and then I start typing because I forget that I, I don't have this window selected. It's a window selection issue. I, I, sorry. Okay. Um, uh, right. So the whole court of... Doriath. That's definitely going to be the name of the episode. Meanwhile in Beleriand, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so... Less murder. Le- wait, less murder, did you say? There's less murder Yes, in there's, Yes, exactly. Meanwhile in, 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 in Beleriand, fewer people are dying. So, okay. Um, all right, so we have Thingol and um, uh, Melian, right? Good. Uh, so we established that they're there. No Menegroth. No Menegroth. We're saving that for the dwarves now. I, with the, the the meme thing is what did it for me. I, I'm, 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 I see it clearly now. Okay. Um, or are they kind of, they're just kind of standing around in the woods staring at each other, sort of similar to how Thingol and Melian met? <laughs> right. Well, they, 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 remember they established their like city by the river? Right before they've oh, moved yeah. underground, right? So uh, they've established their city. So the girdle is not up. Menegroth, they, they're not living in caves yet. Um, uh, so, you know, they're living uh, living above ground, but in Doriath. No girdle. And now at the same time, here we definitely have to have the secret necromantic orc project, right? So this is, uh, um, details, uh, orcs, uh, being prepped for, for released, right? Yes. Okay. Um, we watch them coming off the assembly line. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So we definitely have to have to have the orc assembly line in full uh, 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 full flow here. We definitely need hope, bulldog. Uh, even if we can find a better way to do this than the Lord of the Rings. Uh, yes. Yes. I don't want slime pits and uh, mucous membranes. Definitely not. Um, uh, okay. So, which means I'm going to go back to. Uh, the Angband thing here. Um, oh, the fortification of Thangarodrum. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we get. That's how we introduce uh, Morgoth. We end this episode with the fortification, episode one with the fortification of Thangarodrum as he's expecting the Valar to come after him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah there we go. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, that's easy. Yeah. That's good. Um... Okay, so, right, good, excellent. Okay, good, so we don't need any more than that for the bad guys. Um, so, we're in the Beleriandic stuff. We're pre-dwarf, we're pre-green elf, we're still kind of in peace, so that means we need to, we need, we can't just have peace, that's boring. Um, so, first, orc raids. Uh, and, which also means we need to get Sauron, uh, given charge of campaign in South. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, and the first orc raids. All right, all right. So that's... So this establishes the cast of characters in Beleriand, and it establishes the problem, right? We've got orcs beginning to attack. That's stage one. So the next stage of the, of the Beleriandic story is they need to respond to this. They're starting to lose. I think the dwarves coming in is what happens next. So the dwarves come in, and when the dwarves come in, so they have to establish an alliance with the dwarves, and then they have to... Um, they have to oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Phil... Yeah, Luth, uh, uh, yeah, Luthien. Luthien's here. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Luthien. Po- possibly juvenile Luthien. Maybe she's a teenager. Maybe she's a child. Um, but yeah, y- y- young Luthien needs to be established here. Um, and we can have uh, Dairon there as well uh, in that in that context. In that context. So, yep. Good, good. Um, we also start introducing Baleg Strongbow. Um, yeah, exactly. Beleg and, and Mablong and all them. So yeah, Tony, the orc raids are against, uh, the, uh, the Sindar. They're, you know, so that's, so we, we do have something happening for the Doriath crowd. Uh, Nick, we, we have to reestablish them. We have to introduce Luthien and some other new characters and stuff, but they start to come under attack. We, I, we have the first attack, uh, by orcs against the Sindar at the end. Um, of that, of that episode. And I'm thinking, uh, uh, I'm thinking we, this gets, uh, us to feature Mablong and Beleg, right? With who only has two E's in his name. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, I think we can, we, commanded by Sauron. Yep, exactly, exactly. Okay, so this establishes the problem. Um, then we get, um, um, yeah, uh, Uh, the dwarves come in in the sec in the second Balerian episode, right? So we have um, encounter with dwarves, uh, alliance negotiated, dwarf tossing, <laughs> Menegroth. Hang on, we're getting there. Uh, Menegroth uh, given to elves. Meme tossed. There you go. Um, meme tossed and disgruntled. Uh, Perfect. Weapons forged. Orcs repelled. Which means Sauron starts phase two. I don't know what phase two is, but there's got to be a phase two, right? Uh, so this is when, uh, which I think it means things get sneaky, right? First they were, he was, they were just sending down, cause they, they were just, this, this was a trial of the orcs, right? Like, let's see how they do. Let's see how this works. Um, and then, um, and then in phase two, he's like, okay, no, we need to get, we need to get sneaky about this. Uh, so we've got now you know, like ops being run by Thurin Gwethel and even Tavildo uh, down uh, in Beleriand. But anyway, okay, so the war is, the war is ongoing. Now, um, when do we want to come back to, um, when do we want to come back to, uh, uh, um, to the Noldor here? Do we want to, do, do episode five, we want to come back to them marching up the shore? Yeah, that seems. I think that seems like the right timing. 
because we've had balance now. We've had two Noldor episodes and then two Beleriandic episodes. Um, so we are we do need to remember that the the that they're headed up. Um, so okay, let's. Let's start working backwards. This is how I always like to do these, to make sure that we're on the right trajectory here. Our final episode uh, is the... um, would be called something like Despair and Hope or something like that. Right. Because in in here we get, right, the capture of Mythros... We get the rising of the sun, the arrival of Fingolfin uh, in Mithrim. Um, what else is happening there? That's, that's kind of telling us how we're kind of telling us how we're finishing the, well capture of Mythros probably capture of Mythros probably takes up most of the episode yeah so that th- this means the so the whole the whole fake parley is there right yeah yeah uh we need to have closure on the Beleriandic side of things as well though um uh so here we get the the messengers arrive to Thingol that I mentioned telling of the Noldor. How long does it take to build Meningrop? Not long. Nah, it's okay. caves, right? They're in the cave. They got lots of work to do, but it's not, see this, the, the more I'm thinking about it, the less I think that the construction of Menegroth is, is we need to, to detail it because again, it's caves. They can move in. Right. And again, it's not of crucial. It's not a, a critical military thing. The girdle of million is much more critical. Uh, uh, so, okay. so wait, Good this point. reminds me, do when we, do we want to, when do we want to erect that? Is yeah, that earlier do... in the season or is that part of sort of, could that be a climate? Could that be sort of a climax of the Valerian story? I think, I think it's not the climax um, but I, I think it's the reaction to phase two. Um, so Sauron is like, okay, uh, with their allies, the dwarves and their weapons, their new weapons and stuff, just pitched battle with the orcs is at least inefficient. Let's try infiltration, right? And then mm-hmm. the girdle of Melian is the response to phase two. Right. Like infiltration, so about, not going to work. So how about girdle of Melian goes in the same episode as... Um... Uh, either burning of ships or well, midpoint, because in some sense that's sort of a that's well, sort of a no uh, because we that's kind of a turning point for them, right? For it uh, is a turning start. point. Yeah, the, yeah, the girdle of Melian is a turning point for them. So that could be the sort of the midpoint of them. Then we're going to get the the rest of Balerion. Things are going bad with them. The green elves have to come in and get slaughtered, um, and we need to involve the Ents there at that point. Um, Earlier, early enough on that we have him, uh, Sauron, trying to work with trolls. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, all right. So let's see. Because um, well, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, I really think, I think um, Girl of Melian, I think we kind of want to make a big deal out of that. 
Yeah. Oh, we absolutely do. We absolutely do. So hang on a second. But so working backwards, we don't need much to be happening in the Beleriandic stuff and the last episode. But I do think we want to have near the end. I'm thinking like ten or eleven at least is the death of Denethor, and the like. Things go really bad in the rest of, um, in in the so. The back and forth, right? Stage one is the first attack of the orcs. The response to that is dwarves and weapons, right? Then Sauron yeah. is like, sneaky infiltration. The response to that is the Girdle of Melian, right? So then after the Girdle of Melian, the response to that is, well, okay, let's kill everybody else <laughs> in Balerion, and then we'll... Yeah. That's basically what Sauron does. He's like, okay, we've got them contained. If they come out of the Girdle, we slaughter them. As long as they're in the Girdle, we'll, we'll, we'll besiege them, and we'll kill everybody else, and then we'll focus on uh, on the girdle, and and that's when he starts developing the spider project. Um, yeah. But so uh, the so therefore the death of the of Denethor and the fall of the Green Elves is should be towards the bottom, right? So it, like, basically, the the trajectory of the of the Balerian plot is pretty dark. Like it's looking bad. Um, so it ends with a note of hope when the messengers arrive to Thingol saying, deliverance, right? D- d- deliverance has come from Valinor. Uh, and they tell them about what's happening up in the north, um, which, as far as they can see, looks like a great idea. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so good. Let's, um, so the episode before despair and hope. Well, clearly in this, in episode 12, we get the uh, arrival from the Helcaraxa and the rising of the moon. Right? Which means, by the way, that episode 11 has to contain oops, episode 11 has to contain the making of the sun and moon. Right? Yep. Okay. Um, which means we're going to get Helcaraxa crossing for what? Want to do two episodes of Helcaraxa crossing? Three? Mm. That seems like a lot. Well, n- we're not going to spend the whole episode there, but we're going to check in on them, right? Um, and we can we can make we can make up some particular, you know, so it's not just like still trudging through the snow, right? Yeah, we, gonna, we'll do more than I'm, I'm open to doing this. If, if we, if we have, if we're, we have stories we can tell. Yes, exactly. While they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, uh, cause otherwise I think it would be more dramatic if we just did it in one episode and got it over with. But if we can go up with like, you know, no. stuff that actually happens. Stuff that, well, cause there. we've got, again, we've, we've got characters to kill off and we need to make sure that the crossing of the hell Caraxa, we really convey like what a big deal that oh, was. And, yeah, yeah. So clearly at, at some point there needs to be a part where there's some character we care about. Who's walking along the edge of the ice and then it cracks off, and he goes floating off in the ocean. They have to rescue him. Something like that. And then that. another part I, yeah. where someone's, someone's ice cracks, and he falls through, and then they have to fish him out. Hey, can we have uh, can we have Melkor launch an attack against them? Yes. Yeah, yeah I like that. Need. I like that. We need to we need to have a battle. Okay, uh, so let's say setting off uh, across the Helcaraxa, which means. 
Eight is the burning of the ships. Yeah. Um, which... Does that make seven Curse of Mandos? That's just exactly what I was thinking. And if we do that, then we've got lots of Beleriandic action going on here. All we're doing in here... So Curse of Mandos, Finarfin turns back. Um... Ooh, what if we juxtapose the burning of the ships with the uh, um, with the forgiveness of uh, Finarfin? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, Marie. I know Melkor has no navy any more than he has an air force, but uh, um, I'm thinking. Uh, Ice demons. Nick wants ice demons. Yeah, no, exactly, Nick. I was thinking of like, you know, like uh, polar bears and abominable snowmen, basically. Ice trolls, ice orcs, corrupted wal- yeah. corrupted walruses, suggests Robert Brown. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the super secret necromantic walrus project. Um, Where walrus? <laughs> Eskimorks, <laughs> says Nick. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, excellent, excellent. Um, oh, wait, we so, okay, so hang on. So, you know, we're good here. Um, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we've got, uh, so when I say, so the crossing and of the Helcaraxa and the still crossing the Helcaraxa, those are placekeepers for, Helcaraxa storylines that we're going to invent later on. So that's that's fine. Um, uh, this puts us at the arrival of the Helcaraxa. When do we want the death of Feanor? Somewhere in 9 or 10, right? Uh, yeah, looks like it. Maybe right before the making of the sun and moon? Yeah. Yeah, that would work. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, all right. Because that battle is in pitch black. Yes. Yes, exactly. Death of Thanor, um, burning of the ships. So here we have the uh, uh, first skirmishes with orcs. Right. Um, victory of Feanor. So we can do that in two stages, right? We have Feanor arriving and being victorious, and then him following up, rashly following up on his victory and getting killed in the next episode. So that works. Um, okay. Which means episode 12... Hmm. I'm thinking of the Noldor storyline here. Hang on. Um, we're good. Yeah, we've done everything except moving up the coast, basically. Meanwhile, in the Divided Host. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, exactly, Nick. It turns out Gothmog needs help to take on the Noldor. Yeah, so so uh, we would want to emphasize then uh, in um, yeah, exactly. Yes, the battle under stars. Uh, very good, Dave. Um, uh, so here we have like the humiliation of Gothmog. Gothmog. And then, and then Gothmog's revenge. Gets his mojo back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we're we're doing okay here. We can have... When do we want de- the death of Denethor? In here? Yeah, we don't want the death of Denethor to be at the same time as the death of Thanor. Um, nope. So the death of Denethor, slaughter of green elves, which means the green elves need to arrive. Maybe the green elves arrive in, ex- in, in episode nine. We can let them be around for an episode before we kill them off. Um, and the death of Thanor is going to be a kind of a big deal. There'll be plenty to do there in episode 10. Uh, okay. Something in that's, uh, so Girdle of Melian is episode eight or seven. Yeah. Nick, I'm getting concerned about episode 12 too. Uh, we've got nothing but the moonrise happening in episode 12. <laughs> okay. Hang on. Let's, uh, all right, I agree, Nick. Let's put death of Denethor yeah, there. Yeah, let's move the death of Denethor. So we're basically come essentially to the culmination of the of the the the, the, the chiefly the, the 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 main culmination of the Beleriand plot in this season, with only the final giving of hope coming in the last episode. Um, okay. Um, so that means we can have like ants happening here and here and trolls happening here or you know beginning the troll R&D project um and yeah Marie okay I agree I agree what's um we could have Mithros getting captured in episode 12 as long as that doesn't leave episode 13 to bear um yeah yeah um okay but uh so it we're running out of time got to end in within 5 or 10 minutes at the latest um oh and by the way I wanted to I wanted to mention yeah so Phil Idril's mother dies during the hell so she's one of the casualties we we got to kill her off on the on on the Helcaraxa yeah she's one of the people who dies at the Helcaraxa she'll be the she'll be the most tragical of the deaths um as which means like Idril little Idril has to be there didn't we meet Idril in season 2 didn't we bring in a uh, a pediatric uh Idril uh in season 2 I think um so we have to have uh, poor Idril Kellebrindal with her mother dying and and being like I will never wear shoes again, um, but um, that'll be great. So okay, yep, yep. Um, so the girdle of Melian Rickle. I'm thinking it's got to happen earlier, right? Because again, five, five and six and seven, we've got no Noldor stuff really before the Curse of Mandos, 
Right. I mean, we, we, we're going to check in on them with them traveling up in the divided host and we got to build the tensions between Fingolfin and, and uh, like increasing tensions between Fingolfin and Feanor. Um, uh, reminders of the friendship between Fingon and Mithros. It's not like we've got no stuff to do, but we don't have major events there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think the first two episodes are packed weirdly, Nick. I mean, I, I went into more a little more detail there, but the first two episodes are just Nold, just the Noldor, right? The rebellion and the kinslaying. I mean, doesn't that seem? How would you break that up, Nick? I don't, I don't, I don't see how we would break that up. Um, I mean, I don't think we got to have a whole episode. I mean, if we did like the rebellion of Feanor and his oath, and then did the non-reaction of the Valar and the brief visit to Angband. And, like, what, them, like, the Noldor packing to leave in Tyrion? I mean, I guess we could do that, but that sounds like a boring second episode, basically. Um, uh, oh, do we want to... Nick is suggesting we intercut with Balerion stuff from the beginning? Mm. No, but see... That would be a problem, Nick, if we were having a hard time squeezing the Balerianic stuff in. We're not. We've got plenty of room. Right? Plenty of room here. Um, so, because uh, here, so I, so Balerian, let's, let's carry on then with Balerianic stuff. Balerianic stuff, this is always how we do the episodes, beginning and end, and then try to make it meet in the middle. Um, or, yeah, planning out the, the episode outline. So here we have, um, you know, phase two proceeding, right? Um, and that is uh, uh, the infiltration, right? Uh, of orcs and stuff and, and uh, uh, sneakiness. And here I think we would have uh, with that, you know, trouble um, in the uh, havens, right? Um, we can bring Kierden in there and show that the orcs, the orcs are, are making inroads uh, out there at the havens before the havens get swamped. Um, they can, they, we can have some, we can have some, cause you know, they're, and so we, it would seem logical that we do the girdle here. Um, yeah, exactly, Robert. I want to involve the Philothrim here, uh, at this point. Um, we could save the girdle for episode six. Uh, we do need to bring in ale. I'm thinking here when we establish the boundaries of Doriath is the time to bring off to bring up ale and Nan Elmoth. Besides, it's where it's where uh, Thingol gets his sword. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Nick is suggesting maybe we stretch out episode four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't we do that? I like that idea. Um, Let's, because we can establish the need for the alliance, right? Um, so we can start with, um, you know, the elves losing and dying, and the need, and then the encounter with the dwarves, and the beginning of the negotiation with the dwarves, and what the dwarves have to offer. We got to establish who the dwarves are and what they're like. Um, uh, so, but then this stuff could then happen. In episode five, I like that. Um, yeah, this looks good. Yeah, 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 that's good. Um, 
we could do... Hey, look, and that gets us right back up to the Curse of Mandos. So the girdle going up is a good place to pause and go and go back to the Noldor with the Curse of Mandos. Yeah. Because then we would just need to say... Okay, the other thing we things could do are, in episode four now is... Things he, are pretty stable at that point. Right. This is then we could come back to the divided host of the Noldor. Um, since the meeting with the dwarves is going to be a comparatively le- lower action uh, one. Yeah. Episode seven is bare, Nick, a little bit, but I mean, the curse of Mandos, curse of Mandos is a really big deal. Um, really big deal. Um, oh, by the way, brief program announcement. I should make a very brief program announcement, uh, especially to the folks on Twitch. So first, um, for those of you who are new to this, I can see many of you enjoying our Silmarillion film project discussion. Isn't this fun? Holy cow, how much fun is this? And yes, this is totally theoretical. We're not making an actual film. Um, We're not breaking the law. Um, This is just an academic exercise that we're talking about this. Do come back and join us. We're going to do this. We we do this uh, every other week. Uh, So every other Friday morning, uh, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time, uh, we have these discussions. For the next two decades. For the next, yeah, for at least 20 years, we're going to keep this up because we're we're doing this this episodically all the way from the Ino Lindelay through the end of the Lord of the Rings. So, um, yeah, so it's from, from, from the song of the Ainur at the beginning to, well, I'm back at the end. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that, that's where we're going here. Um, Robert, I don't think we're going to do the new shadow, but who knows, you know, maybe we'll be so addicted to it by the time we get there that we have to carry on. Who, you know, who knows? But, um, uh, anyhow, so that's what we're doing. The other important program announcement, uh, for those of you who are uh, waiting for the Grifflet stream to start soon, um, I have to delay the Grifflet stream today. Uh, the, the, my Hobbit camp is going on, and the Hobbit camp meets at 1 o'clock. So, and I, I need to be there for the Hobbit camp. Um, I'm doing Q&A with the middle schoolers today. So, uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing my Hobbit camp from 1 to 2, but I'll be back. I'm totally doing Grifflet. Uh, so Grifflet and I will be on starting at, uh, at 2 o'clock. So... Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you, Drew. As I saw your, I saw your note. I appreciate that. Um, so I will do a full Grifflet stream from two to three thirty, uh, but it'll be it'll it'll be it'll be an hour later. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that we have people quibbling and adding all the things that we need to do after Sam returns to the Shire. Uh, you know, I, I I I later. That's not important right now. Okay, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think we're. I mean, there's more that we need to fill in, and we didn't. We didn't put every single thing. Like we need to have uh, um, Sauron starting to think about his anti-girdle mechanisms, right? Um, uh, so we need to, you know, introduce Shelob and uh, and that kind of stuff. But we got most of this in. We got. Uh, oh, we didn't plan our Tom Bombadil cameo, but we can we can figure that out. Um, uh, yeah, uh, it's a rule. We have to have a Tom Bombadil cameo in every season. No, I think we, we got most everything that works. We don't have titles for everything, but I think as a general shape, this works. And obviously we will, we'll hammer it out as we, uh, as we move into the details. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. See, there you go, Nick. Exactly. If any of our episodes are thin, we just throw Tom Bombadil in. Um, Ooh, yeah, Nick, 
Great idea. Do we have Goldberry catching Tom Bombadil? So do we have uh, uh, <laughs> Tom Bombadil? Uh, we just have, have a scene where, like, you know, Tom Bombadil is sitting by a river, right? And, like, we just see, like, a, you know, a hand reach up and um, drag him in on, under the... And that's it. We just we just cut away uh, after Pom, Tom Bombadil gets pulled into the river. Um, and then we come back next season and we have the wedding feast of Goldberry and Tom Bombadil. Um, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. I feel like we've we've missed some opportunities to insert him into previous seasons. <laughs> well, it's we just... one one per season. Oh, we do. We do have one per season. Uh, we we totally worked one into that. Where was he in season two? I mean, no, it was when they were traveling, right? They they. Oh, that's right. Yo, they met him yeah, as they were traveling right. past. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, Goldberry put, gra- you know, reaching up and grabbing his beard and pulling him in. Yeah, this totally unexplained little incident of this, like, random guy sitting by a river and getting dragged in by the beard has to be inserted at some point. I love it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, excellent. Okay. Um, yeah, and, 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 and I agree, Carita. Tom Bombadil and Goldberry's How Did You Meet story uh, is, 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 is uh, idiosyncratic and adorable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, excellent. Good. No, I think we're good. I think we're, I think we're in a good place. Now, next time. So our next episode, our next session, so two weeks from today on the 28th, um, it's time to talk about the frame. And I want to work out the frame in as much detail as we can. Um, so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the frame. The projection, what we had talked about before, and we can discuss this and change our minds if we want to, um, but the projected um, story of the frame for season three was going to be the young Aragorn frame. So teenage Aragorn uh, learning to be a ranger. So because we're, we have in mind setting up Aragorn, uh, for the, uh, the frame of, you know, the, uh, the Aragorn and Arwen meeting, you know, th- that whole, st- the Aragorn and Arwen story as the frame of the Baron and Luthien, uh, story of, uh, in season five. So, um, uh, so yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's for next time. Um, and, uh, so bring, if you have, uh, if you have other suggestions, if anyone wants to put forward something other than the young Aragorn story, um, I, uh, I'd love the young Aragorn story here. I think that's, uh, uh, that's going to be, um, uh, I, I think that's, that's a necessity. Um, but anyway, so, so, so think about, um, uh, think about how that's going to work, the things we need to happen, the themes, how we want to integrate sort of the themes and connect the themes of the frame and the themes of the story. So we're going to do, uh, as we're going to fill in the story arc of the frame as much as possible. Um, something that fits with pride, doom, ends and means. Yeah. All those things that we were talking about for, uh, for season three. So, so that's your homework for next time. Um, join us on our discussion board, silmfilm.mythgard.org, uh, 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 for very active discussions on all these things. Uh, you can, uh, you can so put your, put your ideas in there and then that helps us to be able to incorporate those into our plans and discussion for next time. Thanks everybody we, uh, for joining we, us. We, yep. we have to do a public service announcement. Corey. Oh yeah. Okay. About the about the the um, the Warner Brothers Tolkien estate lawsuit settle. Oh yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, so the games and the uh, and apparently uh, the um, uh, the what do you call it? Um, slot machines are safe. Machines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, forward. yeah, they, they can move forward with the folks, slot machines. Yeah. Folks, this this they're not. There's not going to be a Silmarillion film next year. 
yeah. <laughs> because of this lawsuit. So, was, that was the that was the overwhelming reaction from like the social media. Like, oh, great! Well, we'll, soon, we'll have a Silmarillion film any day now. No, <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that at all. Yeah, exactly. So don't think that the, that that settlement. If you did read the story of that settlement, yeah, excellent point. Don't think that that puts us any steps closer to uh, actually producing this film. So, yep. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Uh, we, we just need to. We need to um, rain on some praise. Exactly. Uh, Christopher Tolkien is still alive. So until you find yourself reading the obituary of Christopher Tolkien, don't even think about the Silmarillion film. It will not happen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Um, for joining us today. Uh, thanks, everybody, who joined us on Twitch on our first uh, Twitch simulcast uh, of Silm Film. That was really fun. And um, uh, and I look forward, so again, two weeks from today, uh, we'll return to talk about the frame. Uh, join us on our discussion boards in the meantime. Um, Hobbit Camp starts in a couple minutes, and uh, we have, um, uh, we have uh, what do you call it, Griffith. Uh, the Adventures of Griffith will begin at 2 p.m. Uh, right after that. Uh, so thanks very much, everybody, and I will see you guys again soon. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed. Godspeed.